Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now, you've found it. This is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your host, Alan Smith, a veteran of OTR trucking, business entrepreneur, and the most recognized name for assisting CDL students and new graduates. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins right now. All right. Well, all righty then. Welcome back to the show. Today is Thursday, August 16th, 2012. And we appreciate you tuning into the program, be it live or through the archives. Either way, thanks for listening in. And our phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the broadcast, is 347-826-9170. I'm Alan Smith, joined as always by my official co-host, Donna Smith. And we got a great show for you this evening. You know you always hear about the tough side of trucking and so many issues flying around out there that sometimes it can all just get your brain tied up in knots, not knowing which way to go. Well, our special guest this evening has brought it all together for us, wrapping it all up in one easy package so we can all get a more definitive outline on the top major obstacles facing truck owner operators today. So joining us this evening is Todd Dills, Senior Editor of Overdrive Magazine at overdriveonline.com, and he surveyed owner-operators across the country and asked them the question, what are the top trucking challenges Faced by owner operators, and he has a top answer from the survey for us this evening, and we'll go through them one by one and elaborate more on those during the show. And joining us also are two of those drivers surveyed, so we can hear it all directly from drivers' perspectives. Owner operator Jeff Clark returns as our guest and a member of the Trucking Solutions Group on the web at truckingsolutionsgroup.com. And also joining us for the first time is small fleet owner Tom Blake uh, of uh, Tom Blake Trucking. So, Donna, I guess you have your notes and your coffee there, and you're all set and ready to roll, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, you know me. I, I just got on uh, the right show, and I'm always having computer problems. So, uh, yeah, I guess you could say I'm ready. <laughs> okay. All right. So, well, what came in as the top business challenges for trucking owner-operators through Todd Deal's Overdrive online survey? We're going to find out and discuss them in further detail on our show this evening, Coping with Truckers' Top Challenges, coming up on Truth About Trucking Live. Hey, 
everyone. Thanks for listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. I hear from a lot of newcomers to the industry who still have that entrepreneur spirit that has made the United States of America the great country that she is. And many of them still have one goal in mind, and that is to someday have their own rig and become an owner-operator. Truth About Trucking Live is all about providing honest, reliable information about the OTR trucking industry, especially for those just beginning their truck driving careers. Running your own trucking business is part of the entrepreneurial spirit that has kept America moving since trucks were first used by the military in World War One. If you're considering starting your own owner-off business, there's only one name that you need to know, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing. LoneMountainTruck.com offers the best lease purchase plans in the industry. There's no huge balloon payment at the end, and when you make that final monthly payment, they hand over the title, the truck is yours. They require a very reasonable down payment, and the monthly payments are kept at an affordable $1,000 per month, and sometimes even less. A great inventory to choose from, including Peterbilt's, Volvo's, Internationals, and Freightliners, and all of their trucks are mechanically checked out, dependable, and ready to go to work. And unlike trucking company leases, if you choose to change motor carriers, the truck goes with you. It's your truck. Check them out at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free, 866-512-5685. LoneMountainTruck.com, the honest guys for the sweet lease deals. LoneMountainTruck.com. Man, it's crowded tonight. Care if I join you? Sure, have a seat. Sorry about the paperwork. <laughs> Name's Cole. Appreciate it. I'm Harlan, by the way. Here's a fill-up for you guys. Thanks, honey. Harlan, you look hungry. What can I get you? I'll have a Coke and whatever he's having. Back in a bit. What are you doing with all this paperwork, driver? Looks like you're tripping over your trip sheets. want to get a jump on these taxes before they jump me. There is a better way to manage your trucking paperwork. With TripSheetCentral.com, you're a login away from tracking every aspect of your business. TripSheetCentral.com organizes your information easily so you can see how your business is performing. That sounds easy. And it's fast. Time-consuming paperwork is eliminated with a low-cost monthly subscription. I no longer have to worry about invoices, settlement reports, or fuel tax returns. TripSheetCentral.com does that for me. Manage your business information securely with TripSheet Central. Visit TripSheetCentral.com at your next stop. This is Truth About Trucking Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at truthabouttrucking.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, here, caught me off guard there. Here we are, 347-826-9170 is our number. Let's welcome our guest one at a time to uh, put the voice with the name. I don't see Tom Blake up there yet. I'm scrolling down. got a lot of, a lot of listeners online, and I'm having to scroll all the way down here, but I... That's what I do, Donna, during the, during those uh, breaks there. I uh, I know that's why I try to handle the chat room because I figured, well, yeah, I have I have all the listeners uh, marked from the where, the state that they're from and uh, those names that I know, but I don't see Tom up there. But let's welcome the ones we do have: senior editor of Overdrive Magazine, Todd Deals. Todd, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, Don. Glad good? to have you here. And from TruckingSolutionsGroup.com, owner-operator Jeff Clark. Jeff, glad to have you back as well. 
Hello, Alice. It's good to be back. And uh, I tell you, we'll, uh, I'll keep my eye up for uh, for Jeff. I'm looking, scrolling all the way down here. There's about uh, you mean have, Tom? I mean Tom. Yeah, we have we have 50 lines here, and there's probably let's see, at last count uh, about 40, 41 up there. But I don't see them. But let uh, no. you know, like we always do when we have multiple guests on, I'll just uh, I just leave all the mics open, and everyone feel free to jump in at any time to add to the conversation and as we roll along here we'll uh we'll bring some callers in too so but todd let me start with you first uh uh tell us real quick about truckers news and overdrive magazine i, I guess there was a merging that took place what's the scoop on that yeah well august is the first month for that uh Truckers news and overdrive uh, basically came together uh, you know for a long time overdrive you know, years ago when it first uh when it first launched, it was, um, it was, hold on a second. That's a pretty big background noise, I'm sorry. <laughs> you did what? Um, man, I got a lot of background noise here. Hold on, guys. Okay. okay there we go. It's, it's, it's my wife in the other room, I'm sorry. She had the <laughs> right. radio up too high. Anyway, Truckers News and Overdrive. So Overdrive for a long time was, you know, available at the truck stops. And then uh, it switched over. I guess it was like in the mid-90s or so to being kind of a subscriber-only, free to the trade owner-operators uh, type of magazine, business magazine for owner-operators. And then Truckers News, about the same time, um, um, you know, with the, the company that put that owned Overdrive, Rand O'Reilly, who we work for now, um, had, had gotten Truckers News and had, you know, had, uh, had it out there in the truck stops as well for a long time. So that became like a truck stop kind of magazine. And the two, you know, in a lot of ways, there's always a lot of overlap, okay? So a lot of overlap between audiences. And, um, you know, just uh, earlier this year, started looking at it, uh, you know, and the decision was made basically to turn them into one, one thing. Uh, and so we took all the kind of you know, the popular culture and the lifestyle um, health kind of focus that uh, Truckers News had uh, um, and, sort of added that to the sort of owner-operator business focus that Overdrive had. And now Overdrive is uh, sort of assumes this uh, truck stop circulation that Truckers News had, and it still is free to owner-operator subscribers. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of almost double the circulation and uh, still out there, and but with a wider focus. And, pretty, and, you know, it looks pretty good. We, we redesigned it um, pretty extensively in just terms of the look of the magazine, thicker, and uh, a, lot, a lot more, a lot more in there. So it's kind of a good thing that way. Yeah, it looks good because I stopped by uh, where I usually do and picked up my reached in for my copy of Truckers News, and it, and it said Overdrive. So, the, <laughs> so I thought, aha, something, something new is going on here. Yeah, yeah. So well, we, we have uh, we have a lot of the same staff and such from each, and uh, um, yeah. Well, it looks good. So okay. Um, well, on to your truckers' top challenges survey. How did how did that all start, and where did where did it where did it take you? Well, it uh, you know started um, started just uh, kind of an idea um, for a story, uh, uh, probably in the last year, beginning of this year, kind of thing. You know, it's uh, we report on on, on a lot of a lot of the kind of hot issues and the things that people are always concerned about all the time. But a lot of times when you're doing news reporting, it's like, you know, you hit one little angle of it and then, um, you know, and then another one comes up and you hit that one. And then, you know, and that, you, know, you kind of, you try uh, as much as you can to, to sort of uh, address 
the problem and addressed them from a kind of a service way, um, proposed solutions and that kind of thing. But you know, to me, like some of the big, you know, the big huge issues in the in the trucking industry, to me, we're getting uh, in, my, in my mind, we're getting a little, little uh, kind of overlooked, um, given that kind of news treatment. You know, we're, we're reporting on how the diesel price goes up and goes down, and people complain about it. And you know, we complain about it, and everybody. You know, and everybody talks about, oh, we got to get a fuel surcharge. But, you know, it doesn't get uh, – you know, that, that's just one issue, of course, but you know, it just never seems to amount to much. And I thought, you know, taking it to the readers, um, asking them directly, you know, what are your biggest problems uh, you know, being being an owner-operator in the industry today? And, uh, you know, sort those out and, and come up with the top five, as we did with we did kind of a poll. And, uh, and you know, put that into a package that we can then do more with uh, you know, throughout uh, the course of a month, and you know, so so we can kind of get get like a broad view of uh, of, of some discrete problems, and, and you know, hopefully, and I think we we did a decent job with it. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, get get some folks down the road toward thinking, you know, thinking a more kind of high level solution based kind of way about them. So. That's that in, in uh, you know in essence in short form. Yeah, that's the thing. Hopefully, because I mean, because there's a lot of issues. I noticed on your Channel 19 blog uh, today, you just <laughs> yeah. And, I mean that that's the everybody needs to go over there, man. You've got some great great information up there. I know you threw one up today about other issues like the image of truck drivers and parking. So there there's a lot of. Yeah. So, so many issues, but we're let's see if we can go with the the top five and see how the show show rolls around here. Uh, Jeff, first, let's bring you in here. So, how did you uh, how did you get involved and hooked up with Todd and get in on this survey and all that? Well, I've I've known Todd for several years now through uh, Truckers News Magazine and and the Rattle Rally Corporation, and uh, well, I usually I always read Todd. It's, he's always an interesting read. I try to keep up on the uh, on the uh, subjects of the day in the industry, and uh, and usually when he puts the survey out, I'll, I'll throw my two cents worth in. Well, well, let's start with the, I guess uh, the number one. You, you want me to call off the uh, top five that you ended up with, Todd, or you want to roll through them? Yeah, well, well, what we did, I just explained a little bit more of what we did. So we okay I started with the, so I started with uh, we determined the top five, okay, and then. And then uh, in, this, in the August issue, there's a there's kind of run, there's kind of a, a rundown of each of those five. And then uh, the way we did it online, and this is all accessible out there at Overdrive, uh, the website. And um, the way we did it online is we went each, through each one by one. And there's a there's a discrete uh, story about the number one. And there's a there's another kind of blog post that I did that uh, that kind of expands upon each one. But uh, yeah, the uh, number one was. Uh, count, why don't we count them down? Number five. Uh, <laughs> number okay. five was high uh, high equipment costs. You know, specifically uh, truck prices. Um, you know, other equipment as well. Uh, uh, just just general, you know, general kind of cost pressure in uh, the truck componentry, tires, and everything else. Um, up and up and up, and you know, not a lot of not a lot of increases on the other side. Uh, to account for, which was number four, of course, low freight rates, and, and uh, that translated for owner operators, of course, to low pay. Um, 
three was um, was one that you know that I'd seen or that just sort of followed me around since the first day I started working with overdrive is the issue of uh, uncompensated uh, detention time uh, in long wait to ship a receiver generally. Um, number two was the sort of unsettled and uh, Big Brother in some instances regular regulatory environment around hours of service in the OBRs and, and just uh, how it uh, seems to be constantly changing and, and the sort of threat of, of, of new technology being required uh, in the in the trucks. Uh, and then the number one, which Alan, uh, Alan's being a little bit modest, everybody, he, he was also a uh, sort of a, a primary source for a lot of reporting as well, and he, he was uh, he noted, and uh, you know, when when we talked on this uh, on this number one was that this this is something that's on everybody's radar, of course, and it's the fuel price. Um, at the time, we um, I was doing a lot of interviews, the fuel was going up and up and up, and, you know, and it's going over four dollars again. And <clears throat> shortly after that, it went down a little bit, but now it's coming back up, and it's back up to four. And uh, you know, I mean, that's that's something that uh, that everybody, you know, all the drivers, carriers. Uh, and uh, owner operators out there deal with, and so that was that was definitely number one. And then uh, what Alan was not talking about earlier on uh, the blog today, I sort of did a run through of. I asked all of my sources on the story to name a sixth problem, uh, and then they varied from health to uh, you know health issues to uh, parking and uh, training requirements and some other things. And so that, there's a brief rundown of those over there, but. Um, but generally, that's that's kind of the, the lay of what we did, yeah. And uh, I know Jeff uh, Jeff uh, had had a lot had didn't have much to say on number one. I don't think did you, Jeff? Fuel prices. Well, fuel prices. The way I look at it, is the high fuel prices slow the economy down, and slowing yeah. the economy down uh, hurts. Yeah, <laughs> uh, then it, it's just the supply and demand, but. But really, sure. the fuel is, is, uh, is the volatility, uh, the unpredictability of it. If it shoots up 25 cents in a week, it's like, wow, you know, that right. even all fuel surcharges will lag behind the, the increase. But they always tell us they lag behind when it goes down, too, but yeah, you don't notice that as much. Right. Well, you know, what struck me about this list, and to run through the top five real quick, Number one through five, fuel prices, HOS and EOBRs, detention time, low freight rates, high equipment costs and emission regulations, and then some of the other ones that you threw up there, like the parking issue. What struck me a lot about this, Todd, was um, uh, a lot of these, most of these have to deal with regulations. I mean, you have the regulations involved in the HOS and the EOBRs. You have the regulations involved in the high equipment costs and emission uh, controls. You, you have regulations involved in uh, the uh, problem with the parking. You could almost throw regulation into the uh, detention time because really how sure. are you going to get shippers and receivers to pay for detention time? You can't go into a private company and say this is what you're going to do. So I kind of throw that in with the regulations too. So a lot of these problems are coming through uh, uh, either the overage or the lack of regulations. Well, definitely. Um, you know, it's a lot of them are interrelated, like Jeff just said too. Uh, fuel prices, high fuel prices, uh, uh, cause you know 
cause the economy to slow down, which causes uh, you know rates to go down in, in a lot of ways anyway. And so, <clears throat> and, and like you said, uh, regulations are involved in, in, a, in a lot of these different. But we wanted to break them out, of course, into discrete issues. You know, I mean, as much as we could anyway. Um, in fact, when we were doing the survey, we had the hours of service issue and 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 EOBR is kind of separated, but it seems like it made more sense to to kind of put them right there together because they are so uh, directly related. Well, I'm still looking here. All uh, uh, I'm still looking for Tom. Yeah, all uh, all 50 lines are full. I mean, I've got North oh, okay. Carolina, I've got uh, Missouri, Utah, Colorado. Uh, several here in Florida, California, Wyoming. I don't, I don't see him. I was hoping to talk with him because I know in the article in Overdrive you did with him, uh, and Donna wasn't. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Tom? He was kind of in favor of the EOBRs. Yeah, um, that, that's the way I took it too. And and theoretically, everything he said is correct. Uh, in a perfect world, um, you know, he sounds like a very honest person. And if you're, you know, if you're running things honestly, uh, you know, as far as your employees and so forth, you know, he had a lot of good points. You know, he said it would take care of detention time pay and, you know, you could run more efficiently. And, and I don't have it in front of me right now, but uh, Todd, you know, you agree with all that? I mean, he was pretty much in favor of it. Well, yeah, I mean, Tom, I don't know that he's necessarily in favor of mandate. You know, he, I think he, he made a choice for what he, he felt like he needed to do there. He, right. You know, and, and like a lot of like a lot of other carriers, uh, it's kind of like he, in a lot of, in a lot of these issues, um, kind of fall back to this as well. I mean, he 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 felt like he he'd gotten high on his. Uh, uh, on his uh, you know, the the fatigue driving score in the um, in the uh, in CSA, and he's a I should probably be clear with everybody he's a he's a five six truck fleet uh, running containers primarily around Kansas City in the region, and uh, he'd gotten a little high most in almost all of it as he uh, he'd tell you if he if they would get in here today and probably was I just sent him an email maybe I'll hear back from him. But, uh, yeah, I mean that's okay. I mean, I mean he's running his own company. He might have got busy. I don't want to put any words in his mouth. I mean, EOBR might right. work for his operation, but uh, right. but well, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, to be the EO, the problem is with the EOBR is the lack of flexibility in the hours of service, and you know we have figured out a way to work around the inflexibility in the hours of service and. Unfortunately, right. the EOBRs would show us show us the uh, that the way we've learned to work work around the the inflexibility of the hours. So it's 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 not like you know running driving twelve hours in a day or going sixteen hours a day. It's more like I had the other night. If I'm coming up uh, to Minnesota out of Ohio, and it was going to be rush hour in Chicago, so I made the decision to run it through Bloomington, Illinois, which is uh, it, it's 30 miles longer, 34 miles longer to go through Bloomington than to go through Chicago. But right. you, know, if you make up that because it's rush hour. But I'd be coming into Bloomington later at night, and there's two truck stops in Bloomington and a pilot and a TA. And you know they're going to be full. Right. 
so what you end up doing is stopping and sleeping your eight hours uh, in, you know, ten miles away where you know there's room, and then, you know, creeping up to Bloomington and, and taking your shower. And in my case, I had a, you know, there's a bicycle pedestrian trail right behind the pilot there called the Constitution Trail. I got on that a little bit. And right. I finished off my, you know, ten-hour break, but there was a, you know, a, a, an eight or nine mile drive in the middle of my ten hour break, uh, and it's just that the EOBR. If if I had really done that in real life, which of course I wouldn't, you know, but yeah. actually, it would with the split split sleep, of course, would have worked legally anyway. But the idea is that you know it it it, it takes away the the opportunity to use a little bit of intelligence uh, and be able to. And there's, there's lots of places like that where you know that, you know, where the truck stop is where you can get a shower and stuff, you're not going to be able to find a parking place, but you'll know there's one five miles down the road, you'll just stop there and then just, you know, get up in the morning and drive that five miles to that truck stop. And that right. to me, what the EOBR does, it just, it shows the, 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 uh, its flexibility, hours of service and, uh, you know, the, the idea of the, you know, my big thing is why do we have a one-size-fits-all hours of service? Sure. Yeah, yeah, I know that's the thing. Well, we've got, uh, you know, we 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 briefly started on the fuel prices there. I, I really don't know what to what anybody can do about the fuel prices. Like you said, it's supply and demand, but the HOS and the EOBRs, um, uh, that's the thing that's been flying around quite a bit, Donna, huh? Well, yeah, and we've got somebody I know. Bill's listening in. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm having in here. I'm with my uh, with my. I'm trying to get back in the chat room, and I can. I think I just I just closed myself out. I did. Um, anyway, so if you guys are talking to me in the chat room, I I, I just <laughs> don't have any idea what's going on. But anyway, I know um, he was just saying uh, a few minutes ago that. Uh, there was, OIDA had put out an article. They're doing a new study, and I briefly went through it. Uh, but they're doing a new study with, uh, I guess, Virginia Tech to measure the efficiency of EOBRs and to uh, see how it relates to crashes and if there's a reduced crash uh, for driver fatigue, you know, using them. So it's just another study, I guess. Uh, I, I tell you, there's just so many studies on this, and uh, and yet they still, you know, even though it's in the transportation bill, they still have it with the, um, well, help me out here, Todd, what, the appropriations bill where uh, where there's no funding? Right, right. Well, the, I, think, I think what happened with that was that rather than uh, the Senate take up uh, another year, worth of appropriation bill. They did like a continuing resolution, which basically extends the funding of the government through March. Um, and so that, that House Appropriations Bill amendment is just basically on the table still, but they'll take it up in March, I guess. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the whole notion that like, uh, I mean, it gets back to the, the challenge, right? Like, like okay, is, is this coming or not? You know I mean? Uh, are we going to have to do this or what? And I know Jeff. Jeff, are you? Uh, what do you? What are you thinking? I know we when we talked, we were, we were talking a little bit about the high equipment costs and the notion that we might have some EOBRs. And uh, are you thinking about retiring? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting 
closer, closer. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm at that age, and I'm also at the age. And, you know, do I buy one more truck? You know, right. You know, and yeah, or do I get a I'm almost to the point where I can get out of the business, and uh, and my company that I've leased on to is, you know. Every time I walk in there, they're ready to go with electronic logs. And what they were actually doing with my company is they're they're trying to give a positive uh, reinforcement to get you to go to the electronic logs by okay. by, by paying you a couple cents more a mile if you go to electronic logs. And we have my company is a pretty great beer company as far as the owner operators go. Um, at fifty three, I'm probably on the younger side. Um, okay. And uh, they, but they what they basically done is they they taken uh, the, the the poor loggers and put them on electronic logging. And we also because we have we're a refrigerated company, a temperature control company. They have uh, GPSs inside the the reefer motors to to monitor how the reefer is doing. But they can also right. tell exactly where you are and. Uh, what they've done is hire an outside, basically an auditing firm, to uh, take the trailers to see if we're where we say we are. Right. Sort of, huh. you know, it's almost like you got it anyway. With, with the, you got an EOVR without an EOVR at all, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, yeah, that's one of the yeah. things. Is that the EO, you know, back in the, in the you know, 80s, you know, nobody knew where the heck we were. We, we, you know, you, you, you paid cash for your fuel and you know, right. you, you could tell, ask the attendant, you know, what date you wanted to put on it. And, uh, you know, toll booths, they just, the, the tolls, you know, we used to run the Indiana and Ohio, you know, Illinois tollways. Mm-hmm. We never had times on the toll receipts. There was always just dates. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was, but now everything is you, so timed out with, between the GPS systems, your cell phones, the ECMs in the truck. Um, and everything else, it's like, well, you know, really, they know where we are every minute of the day anyway. The EOVR is just uh, an expense right. that we uh, need. It's telling us something we already know. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think there's a lot of folks out there that, that, kind, of, that kind of recognize that. I mean, Tom, Tom's unfortunately going to be on here, but he, you know, one thing to think about him is, is the kind of, you know, the operational challenges that you mentioned with um Kind of the long haul work where you where you do got to get in where you do have to get into truck stops you do have to uh, you know you're parking away from home and such he his operation is containers and um, the, you know he does cross state lines and such so that they they're doing you know logs like long haul drivers and stuff but he uh, uh, his his drivers are getting home most nights you know so and they're able to get they're able to you know with even with some delay at shippers and receivers they're able to get their work done in the in the day and get back home. You know, so the EOBRs running with the EOBRs is not a huge a huge deal for them, you know. It wasn't right. Yeah, I think it's an operational yeah. challenge as it is for like a long hauler. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's running a little different operation there. Well we can get yeah. another driver's perspective on uh the EOBRs because Bill McKelvey's in here. So Bill go ahead. Welcome to the show. Hi Alan. How are you? Hey I'm doing good. Uh, say, oh, hi, Bill. Hi, Donna. Hi, Todd. How's everybody? Hey, Bill. <laughs> Doing well. <laughs> yeah. The gang's like the, all here. That's like the round okay, table. We got, 
What, what's okay. going on? We got all the highs out of the way. <laughs> the article that I sent to Donna through the chat room is available at Landline Online, or it probably is in print uh, for the next Landline magazine. The article says FMCSA taps Virginia Tech to study electronic onboard recorders, and basically what she said is correct. Uh, they're tapping a university to study the effectiveness of crash and vehicle data to determine whether trucks with trucks with electronic onboard recorders have a significantly lower crash rate than those without. Um, our database will allow us to look at preventable crashes and crashes that have been designated as fatigue-related. Um, study aims to evaluate the potential safety benefits of electronic onboard recorders. And it just goes on. I, I'm not going to read the rest of it. If you guys want to read it, that's great. Here's my thing and what I've said to everybody since the article first broke. Why? Okay, the Government Accountability Office needs to be on this. They need to be on the FMCSA. They need to say, why are we spending hard-earned American tax dollars on yet another study of EOBRs? Uh, to me, this might get me in hot water with the trucking industry, but at this point I really don't care. Whoever is behind this EOBR push at the FMCSA needs to resign. They need to resign right now. They don't need to come into work tomorrow. They need to give the pink slip and say, thank you, I'm done, I'm not being honest about this, okay? Whoever is pushing this, in my God's honest opinion, is not being honest. I think it's okay. And now, don't get me wrong, a lot of people have got me wrong. A lot of people say what I'm saying is negative. What I'm saying is the very truth. Sometimes I admit I come across as being negative, okay? Uh, that's something I do um, when I get frustrated to the point where I can't stand it anymore. If you have a big fleet, small fleet, medium fleet, whatever, and you like the EOBRs and it works for you and it saves you time, it saves you IFTA, it saves you recording, it saves you whatever, that's great. If it works, and one of you guys said it, I don't know who said it, if it works for that person in that nutshell of the industry, that's great. But over the past month that I've been out talking to different drivers, okay, I say to them, EOBR, they look at me, what's that? What are you talking about? I had a guy the other day on Facebook, You can, he's on one of my page comments, uh, he said, what is the EOBR? And I said, buddy, I, I don't want to twist your opinion, Google it for yourself. I said, but and make your own opinion. I said, but the thing is, I want you to gather the facts of what's going on. I want you to gather the facts, like Schneider and Werner. I didn't specifically say to him, but you guys know, and the rest of the listening public may not know, but both Schneider and Werner got up at the second FMCSA listening session and stated that they had been editing drivers' records, okay? We know the regulation, I can't recall it by name, but it says you're supposed to change at every record, you're supposed to uh, record every change of duty status. In that ruling, there's nowhere that it says you're allowed to go back and edit to actually, you know, save yourself time. And that's what these big companies are doing. And that's where guys like me, and a whole bunch of rest of the guys are very upset that they're going to mandate these things on that basis, that the big companies can go back and edit them, and the DOT cops are going, oh, well, they've got EOBRs, so so they're legit. No, no, they're not. You know, um, 
something on the new the new regulation with the the mandates of the EOBRs, aren't this the mandate of the EOBRs that they cannot be re edited in, in the uh well, I don't think it says in the, that really in there. I mean, you know, the fact is I mean Bill and I have talked about this before, you know, you can't there's like, you know, there's nothing you can really do to account for on and off duty time. It, it's going to be, you know, quote unquote editable by by any driver. Um uh you know, as long as you know, as long as there's there's a difference between on duty not driving and off duty or sleepy sleepers or whatever. So like I think I think basically I don't I don't remember but I can't remember exactly the you know, I, I know that the listening session you were referring to, but I can't remember exactly what what was said there. But it, it sort of became apparent that yeah, like like some editing was going on um, for sure on the on duty not driving and off and off duty yeah, kind I, of difference, right? Do you remember? A lot of I don't, times at the end of the day, you looked out and oh, I made a mistake. Or, I scratched that wrong. And you could, I don't. That, I I run paper logs. Right. Like, you know, I could make my little scratch mark and my little explanation. You know. Right. Well, a mistake is one thing, okay? We all understand in the industry we all make mistakes, you know. Yeah. I got buddies over at Landstar right now getting violation letters for what is form and matter, and they're trying to force them onto these EOBRs because of that. Now, what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to be able to correct it, circle it, and send it back in the law department. But right. some of the guys, they're just not letting that happen. And that, you know, that really gets, um, you know, that that would get under my skin if I was one of them. But the actual, what you said earlier, the actual ruling in the actual mandate, the language does state, and if you'll have to dig into it. I've got it. If anybody wants it, send me an email request. I'll dig through my emails. I've got the actual language of the mandate, and it does actually say that the machines are to be tamper-proof. So I don't think, and I've said this before, Alan knows I've said it, I don't honestly think that there is a machine that you can put into a truck and a driver or a mechanic or a fleet manager cannot edit or audit. We're not saying, uh, guys like me, if I can speak for everyone who is fighting the EOBRs, I don't know that I can. From my point of view, what we're fighting against is that Schneider, Werner, the ATA, Prime, uh, whoever else you want to name that the big carriers came out and said, hey, Mr. Congressman, Mr. Senator, I've got this black box. So the rest of America sat back and said, wow, they're putting black boxes in trucks. Well, they're not black boxes, as all of us know. They're not anything close to being a black box. That's what we're mad about. If they yeah. want to mandate this thing, then, you know, Okay, let's mandate it, but let's be honest about it. Let's not sit here and say that a buddy of mine who runs for Landstar comes up and goes, hey, Bill, I need to get this paperwork to you, okay? He says, I want to tell you about what they're trying to force on us, okay? Well, what's the big deal? He says, at the end of the day, I can push a button and wipe out the whole log and start over. Do you know what? We already have black boxes. They're called ECFs. And, yeah, yeah. I know that if you have a crash, that's the first thing the lawyer's going to ask for is to get right. the ECF record. So we already have a black box. Well, I think there's so much legislation and nonsense in front of it, it may never fly. 
But what someone was talking about before or earlier, the House Appropriations Bill, that is still in effect. Uh, Representative Landry is behind it. So if you are against the OBRs, I suggest you call him and try to support him and see if your senator or congressman is is against uh, the EOBRs and try to get on that bandwagon to make sure that that appropriation bill does actually make it through. I read something today that it said in 2013 the FMCSA is going to make its final ruling. Now, I also know that there's supposed to be two hearing sessions coming up on driver harassment and the EOBRs, okay? Um, we haven't Who read those, up. Bill? I'm sorry? I haven't heard of any anymore. Um, where where are those going to be? Do you remember? They haven't announced them yet. You know, okay. I know, but there was something a little while ago. Rich Wilson, I think I brought it to his attention. He's watching out for it. I'm watching out for it. There's a couple other guys. We have not heard an announcement yet. Okay. Uh, but I remember seeing something that they're gonna they're gonna have a hearing session on the harassment. Um, and, you know, we all know what happens. Your dispatcher calls you and says, uh, like a guy who's running for a night, he ran into me up in uh, Minnesota. And he said his dispatcher asked him if he started the day yet. And he said, well, I've been up and doing this and doing that. And, yeah, I started my day. He says, well, when you get ready to roll, call me back and we'll start your day then. And he said he's done that to him four days in a row. And he was dead tired. He doesn't want to work for them anymore because of that. And he's got no reason. Because with that is that uh, they'll, they'll, take, they'll watch you take your 10-hour break after you start your day with work for four hours. And if you get delayed someplace, they want you to take your 10-hour break then. And what happens is it reverses your sleep cycle. And that's, right. that's I think, it with, with the driver harassment. And, it, and uh, what, this is, I know this is adding regulation, but what I like to see is a ruling that with, with your hours of service, that you can't say I normally work between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. And I don't also want to work from midnight to 10 a.m., you know, midnight to 2 a.m. or midnight to 2 p.m. And that's kind of what they're expecting you to do. And that's sort of, I think that's where the FMCSA did not see that. And, uh, hmm. you know, that's, and that's with the driver harassment. I've seen it with companies where a guy gets held up for six or seven hours between deliveries, and they wanted to take a 10-hour break then. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's uh, a... Yeah. Well, that's what, that, we're going to get into that detention time, too, because, I mean, just like uh, uh, Bill's putting out there, uh, Todd, I mean, the, a lot of frustration over these EOBRs, so I guess that's not the first time you've uh, you've heard that. Oh, no. Yeah, well, we've, we've been definitely writing about that for a long time. It's a big thing. Let's go. Let's yeah, go to. It's real. Let's let's go to uh, right here in Florida, area code nine zero four. Go ahead. Welcome to the show. Hello. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, this is me. This, my name's Tim. How you doing? I'm good. Glad to have you. What's going on? I got uh, I got an opinion on this EOBR. I'm uh, okay. Uh, like I said, my name's Tim Fillman, and. Uh, I've talked with Todd Dills. Uh, how's everybody doing, by the way? And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I got my personal opinion about it. First of all, if these things are so great, so wonderful, and everybody's going to sit around and hold hands and sing Kumbaya, 
why isn't there a waiting list to have these put on in trucks? Okay, there's not. There's never going to be. Nobody. Some. They're being mandated by a bunch of people that don't have a clue as to what goes out on out here. Number one, they don't have a darn thing to do with safety. It's not going to measure the driver's health and well-being while he's sitting behind a wheel and he's logging in a 600-mile day, unless he's got probes plugged into him. All it does is measure what the truck's doing or what it's not doing, okay? And and, and it creates the illusion, okay? Number two, I've talked to several guys out here that run them, you know, as company drivers, and there's a fifth line on that EOBR. Your logbook has four lines. This thing has a fifth line. And just like your previous caller stated, you know, there, there's ways to go in there and manipulate this log page. If it's if it's out here, if they're wanting to mandate it, all these activist groups are wanting to mandate it, the way it should be mandated, there should be two buttons, an on button and an off button. And the mm-hmm. on button is your brake lines. When you push your brakes in to leave the truck stop in the morning, that thing starts logging driving. But it don't. It don't it don't work that way. So if it takes you eleven hours to drive four hundred miles, it takes you eleven hours to drive four hundred miles. But it don't do that. They can go in there and audit it and leg. Number three, what happens when the system goes down or the radar or the air, the satellite goes down? What are you supposed to do then? Oh, well, we got paper logs. No, 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 wait a minute. It's against DOT compliance to run two logbooks. You can't do that. You can only have one. Okay? And it has nothing, in, the, in my opinion, it has nothing in the world to do with safety. I, and I agree with your last caller. I believe it's a lot of these bigger carriers, along with these union carriers, uh, all they do is they run a 200-mile radius back and forth to their shops, and, yeah, they can do it, okay? But what about your irregular route carriers, okay? What about, I, personally, I pull a flatbed, okay? I, I might, mm-hmm. yesterday, yesterday I spent three hours loading a machine and tarping it and securing it, okay? That, you know, it, it, I'm not being, I'm being compensated, you know, for my tarping, okay, but, again, what happens with the detention issues when drivers have to, you know, these door slingers have to sit at a dock for six or seven hours to get 20 pallets unloaded or loaded on their trailer? They're not being compensated. Yeah. They have four, to call it off duty. Right. I mean, the, right. Well, see, that's kind of the worry, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, see, what they're doing is, is they're trying to, they're trying to, in an industry that, that is an incentive-based industry, okay, we're paid by the mile or we're paid by the percentage. We're not paid on the clock from 8 to 4 or 8 to 5 or 9 to 4, whatever, okay? However, the EOBR puts us on a time clock, okay? Yeah. So if you're going to put me on a time clock, well, you're going to pay me up. You're going to pay me by the time, but they're not going to do it both ways, okay? Yeah. And, and the other so that's thing one you got thing. Uh, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, the other thing you got to think about is we're in a down economy, okay? Our our GP, our, our gross domestic product is what one point nine, okay? If if we get if we get the economy turned around, and we start growing again, and we have a three point zero growth, okay? The the the, the truck well, there's not enough trucks out here. It's going to cut back productivity, but yet the capacity is going to be increased, okay? And and you're not going to have enough time to move in a growing economy. But that's just that's just me, you know. And and, and, and as far as as far as your top five, I, I believe I believe fuel cost 
it's, it's not a concern if you're getting if you're getting fuel surcharges. Now the guys that it hurts are your independents that are having to wait thirty or forty or sixty days to get compensated. Yeah. You know, and the fuel cost goes up. But if yeah. you're getting a fuel surcharge of fifty cents a mile or whatever the going rate is, I mean, if you take the fuel surcharge out of your revenue and take the fuel cost out and deduct it all out, you'll see that you're right. paying about a dollar eighty a gallon for fuel. Right. You know, you know. So yeah, your fuel cost is is thirty thirty five or thirty seven percent with your fuel surcharge added into it, but you deduct it out and your fuel cost is back down to twenty one twenty two percent. You know, so I don't yep. see how fuel costs should be. I, personally, if fuel cost goes up, it helps me. You know, that's what, that's what Jeff was saying, right, Jeff? Yeah, <laughs> a lot, a lot of the fuel surcharges are based on about six miles per gallon, and if right. you get seven miles per gallon, hey, if you do better, you make money. Yeah. yeah. But what happens though is that it does put it. You know, while your fuel surcharges are going up, it does put a downward pressure on the. Actual freight charge, um, right. and it because the shipper is looking at its total cost, you know, and they're saying, "Whoa, how do we cut yeah. the total cost?" And that's the cut the, and that's where you saw a lot of, uh, and I, I was a part of one of the companies that went out of business basically, you know, with the with back as a you know, a few years ago, with the uh, downward actual freight rate because, you know. The owner-wrappers are getting 70% of the freight rate and plus the fuel surcharges, and they're getting 30% of the freight rate, which was going down because the fuel surcharges were going up, and they got caught in the middle. So, I mean, it's not all – we're not – you know, we might look at a short term like we're making money when fuel prices go up, but really we're not. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just like your survey showed, Todd, that, I mean, there's a – a lot of issues you had to uh, you had to go through, and uh, you came up with these five these five as the top. And I, I was scrolling way down here, and I found Tom Blake. He's hanging on here, so yeah, <laughs> I'm glad he joined us. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, how you guys doing? I'm sorry I'm late, but believe it or not, I was under a truck. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah believe I had a, had a break. Hey, hey were you under? Were you under that 2005 Peterbilt 379? No, actually, I was underneath the 97 International 9400. Okay. <laughs> had a, had well, a brake chamber go out on it, and uh, when I put it back together, it still had an air leak, and I tore it back apart and got it together. It's fixed, and by the time I was washing my hands, my wife come down, and she goes, you're late. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you made it. We were... Um, we're going to get on through the uh, the other uh, three of the top five uh, challenges here. We're on the EOBRs here, and I didn't want to put any words in your mouth. I had said earlier I was hoping you would make it because uh, looking at your article in the overdrive, uh, it kind of looked like you were for the EOBRs, but we're, we've kind of talking for you here on the show that it really has to do with a person's operation, so maybe it's right for your operation. I mean, do we have that right? Uh, I, I myself would disagree with that, and uh, I was listening to the previous car talking about them and even talking about Line 5. Basically, uh, Line 5 on the OBR is personal commute. Uh, let's just say, for instance, uh, a driver shuts down for the day. I can go in there and get it to where he can do a personal commute to drive somewhere to go eat dinner. 
on his own personal time if he's Bob Teller or whatnot. Or me, myself, if I'm taking the truck home after I've dropped off all of my loads or everything, I can use it as a personal commute in that. Uh, And my thing with the recorders is if everybody was doing them or if they were running their logbook 100% legally, in other words, when he's tarping that load for three hours, so on duty for three hours to where it's taking time off of your 14-hour clock and cutting you down on what hours you'd be able to drive. If everybody who followed the law exactly, we would either be getting detention pay out of the shippers or the freight rate would go up, the driver's pay would go up. Okay, well, let me uh, – I still have Bill and uh on here too. Bring him up here in a second. I still have a Florida caller on here. Uh, forgive me, I forgot your name, but did you want to respond to what uh, what our guest just said? Well, I agree with him 100%. This is Tim. Tim again. Tim, I, I agree okay. with him. Okay, yeah. but there's two million, two million plus drivers out here, and you you can't get three of them to agree. Okay, <laughs> so what happens is is you get you get some bad apples out here, and they hurt people, and they do things wrong, and then they go in there and they audit. I personally, I run a legal log, okay, and I operate and manage my company, my personal beef, my personal truck like that. But my beef, my beef with the ELB, and first of all, if it mandates everybody across the board, great, you know, everybody. But if everybody doesn't have one, it's an unlevel playing field, and we all know that, okay. But number two, I, I, I run all over the place. I don't run scheduled routes here and there. You know, I don't go 200 miles back and come back to my terminal and drop my trailer and go home every night. I don't do that, okay, on a day-to-day basis. And number three, if if everybody has them, great, okay. But the problem, like I said, my main beef with them is the fact that you can go in there and you can edit these machines. Now, granted, you got your personal drive-off. I have no problem with line five. I just mentioned it. It was an extra line in there. Actually, I've forgotten what it was about. But nonetheless... There's ways you can go in there, and I've talked to a lot of guys that has them, and they're dispatched. You can go into the computer, and they can negotiate that EOBR to fit their operation. So they're falsifying laws, whether well, it's electronic or paper. If the only people that can go in there and change the log is the administrators, and if the dispatcher can get in there and do that, they can. But when it is done... Normally that log line is black. It automatically changes that to a red. So when you get audited by the DOT, they can see uh, that that log is audited, and they can see uh, that somebody is manipulating the log and actually running the illegal. Wow, uh, okay. Well, they're, they're, so that, they, they, they cannot go in there and do it without getting caught. Just just arbitrarily just doing it, right? Right, right. See, I've had drivers that have uh, parked their truck at night and, and see the computer, the way mine are set up, uh-huh. right when they start driving, they're going to go no more than three miles. If they forgot to put themselves on the driving line, that computer will put them on the driving line after three miles, and it, and it will back up that three minutes or whatever that it was right. when they started uh-huh. driving. Just like when right. they parked the truck. If they park the truck and jump out, after three minutes, it will automatically throw them on the on-duty line. It will never put you on off-duty. It will never put you in sleeper. 
Can okay, I have a question for you. Uh-huh. I have a question for you. Okay. Uh, in your operation, does your drivers ever do, you know, five, six hundred, six hundred and fifty mile days? They do seven hundred once in a while. Okay, and they can they can do a seven hundred mile day on eleven hours on, on an EOBR. Yes, they can. It, now I'm out run, here in run, Kansas. Run, 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 we're we're well, the seventy mile an hour. Or seventy five well, mile an hour. I was gonna ask you, are they going from are they going from Bridgeport, Connecticut no. to, to you know to to, to, no, to no. Uh, right. Okay, that's see that's my point. We're yeah, out, out here in wide open country. Right, out there you can. But right. you're not gonna run you're not gonna run from Jacksonville, Florida to Ruther Glen, Virginia in eleven hours on on a EOBR. You're not gonna do it. You're gonna you're gonna have to shut down south of Richmond. Well, you can't run. You can't run from there to, out, out of paper log either. Right. If you're running legal, you can't do it, and, and that's the whole thing about these. Is you know, DOT's cracking down on the people because they're running illegal, and if everybody has them in, for one, the dispatchers and freight coordinators are going to actually have to look at the way everything's scheduled from now on. Yeah. And you're going to have to look at your rates. You're going to have to figure out what your cost overhead is before you yeah. even turn the key on the truck and have everything figured in there. Yeah, I don't, and, and I've had yeah, to do that. Yeah, my problem is it with the UBR except with the end of the, you know, spending the four or 500 or 1500 whatever it's going to cost me, depending on what kind you get. My problem is, is with the hours of service that doesn't give us any, any, any at all flexibility as far as mm-hmm. being able to find a parking spot type of deal. Um, and that's I suppose my problem with the EOBR is it, it shows what I'm running logically instead of legally, um, and that, and it's you know and it's the little things like I can't stop at that truck stop up there because I know there's not going to be a parking place, but I can stop at the one ten miles down the road and then drive on in there in the morning, and that right. type of thing. it is, and that, you know and it's you know, the differences are small, and, and sometimes you can do that with a split sleeper berth, and. Yeah. That helps. Well, I've I've had drivers that have had something go wrong, and they went ahead and they ran the ten or fifteen minutes extra to get the truck parked at a safe place. And what I require them to do when they do that is on your remarks column explain what happened and why. And I actually went through a federal DOT audit last September, and when he looked in on my EOBRs, and one thing nice about it is. I'm also showing my pre-trips. The guys, it, when they do their pre-trip, if they change the light, they'll write it on there, and it's all right there on the driver's log. Uh, the officer, his name was Hanson, uh, out of Topeka, Kansas. He uh, commented on that, but then he saw where we had gone over, but he saw the driver's notes. We had had uh, a big thing happen, and then they closed Interstate 70. So the driver had to go up and hit Highway 24 and come the other way home. And because of the towns and everything, he ran out of hours for a run that he would have been able to do legally. In the remarks column, he wrote what had happened, that the interstate was closed, and that's what he had to do to get to a safe place. Officer Hansen didn't even blink an eye when he read that. He what understood. Do, what do you do then? And I know what we basically do is, is with paper logs, because we have paper logs and electronic logs in our company, is we will sometimes you'll, you'll come into a place, and your 14 hours will run over while you're waiting at the dock, and then you can't stay there. Do you just do the same thing, just write an explanation on that? 
Yeah, or uh, if you've got an electronic log, go to your personal commute to get to a, a safe safe haven where you can sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay, I tell you, we got a. I think this is the first time it's happened, Donna. All fifty lines are full. I'm going to try to uh, try to get some more callers in here the best we can. Let's jump over to uh, Missouri, and then Bill will try to get you back on here to respond. But Missouri, area code three one four. Go ahead. Welcome to the show. Me? Uh, yeah, if you're 314 Missouri, go ahead. Yeah, this is Linda Caffey. I. Yeah. Uh oh. Linda. <laughs> Be careful, Jeff. Uh, I, <laughs> Jeff and I have had this discussion on electronic logging often. Uh, we've run an ELBR for several years. It's a little different as a team, I realize this. The, to- the guy that was right before me, I thought he had it right on of how the electronic logging works. It's no different than your paper log. Um, If you're running illegal, you're running illegal, whether it's a paper or an EOBR. On that Line 5, each company can set their own policy on Line 5. With us, we have a 20 and a 24-hour period. We have 45 minutes that we can use for personal conveyance. And the other thing is, you know, I keep hearing this talk now about the ELDs. And it sounds to me like they're only going to log time and not use the GPS where you are. And that is all logging is supposed to do is log your time. And they need to get where we are out of the logs. Yeah. That's one I mean, thing I'd like to see changed. They don't need to know where we are. They don't need to know how long we drove. Yeah, and that's uh, Linda, a lot of people agree, agree with you on that for sure. And I think the yeah, I don't know how much uh, how much FMCSA is getting that message. Um, that's something that drivers that, that feel that way definitely should deliver it to them because I know that uh, the technical standards that their their Motor Carrier Safety Advisory Committee kind of recommended technical standards that they put together were done by you know with with heavy involvement of you know some of the some of the device manufacturers who do use location tracking and then have, you know, sort of other features involved as well. Um, and, and and that, so that ends up being in the technical standards. But, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I've heard, heard that argument as well a lot. Okay. Um, I just want to just – Yeah, jump in here. Because I'm, I'm reading the chat room, and um, I don't know if Bill's line's open or not, but – he he has a statement that whoever has the password can change it. Well, that goes uh, goes back to um, what Tom said that it would show up a red line. Now, of course, I, I'm not as savvy as as all you guys are about EOBRs. And um, is there ever a time something can be changed that a red line wouldn't show? I mean, I'm just trying to think of of all the possible things that can go wrong with this. This is Tom. Uh, no, any time I've ever had to go in because the driver forgot to log himself out or put himself on a, in the sleeper for the night and wakes up in the morning and he has zero hours available and I have to go in there and look at everything, it always goes to a red line when I go and make the, make the thing in and I myself have to put a comment in there it won't even let me 
change the log without putting the date, the time that I'm actually making the change, what time the driver's change actually was, city and state location, and then I have to put a remark why I'm making that change, which is usually the driver forgot to log himself off duty or sleeper. Okay. And, Tom, you're using a, you're using a people net system, if I remember yep. correctly? Yes, sir. So, well, I have you, another you know question. different with others? I don't know. Yeah. I missed that. I, said, I, I, I was just wondering, do you know if, it's, if the editing system is different with other systems? Because you may have tried out some other ones. I, I, I tried out one other one first, and it was about the same. Okay. Uh, and, and that's why one thing I will tell anybody that's thinking about going to EOBRs, know exactly what you want and make sure it's in writing. Don't let them just tell you that their system does something and believe them because that's what what happened to me with my previous recording devices. They told me it had features it didn't, and then when we argued about it afterwards, they, oh, well, they're going to come in effect in six months, but they were charging me for them today. And uh, I I wound up having to actually take it all the way to the Kansas Attorney General's office to get out of that contract. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, be careful. Um, You had a question? um, I have a question. Um, How often, and and this is something that, that I've been reading, people are saying, that if you have on your uh, truck an EOBR that they'll just wave you through, um, how often does DOT check uh, an EOBR versus a paper log? I get inspected quite often, to be honest with you. Uh, they, I, I run a lot of the same routes, so I've actually got some way stations that have been waving me through for years because they've inspected me enough times. But I still get pulled over by the highway patrol out on the road for roadside inspections uh, at least once a month. And you're talking, on average, we've only got five trucks rolling a day. And once a month, one of those trucks is getting inspected somewhere. Do they know how to get into your EOBR to check your logs? That, that's one of the things that's required. You have to have the paper there that, that gives them directions on how to get into the EOBR to check the log. Uh, anytime me myself have been inspected, I've just clicked on it and said, what do you want to see? Because I know I can do it quicker than they can, and they've always been good with that. But it, it, if an officer wants to do it himself, you can hand him the instructions and say, here you go, have at it. I think that's that's sort of what's happened with enforcement, though, is that we don't see as much enforcement on the road as we do, you know, in the office now. And to me, I was always scared to death about being caught on the road without my logs up to date. And yeah. I've got, I get my logs checked about once every two years. What? Yes, you're there. I had a I had a comment on that too. In eight years I've had my log book checked twice. Even going <laughs> through level one. And it's the same way on the EOBR. If they don't want to look at your EOBR, all you have to do is have your log faxed to them. It's not that big of an issue. And they do. You can show them the screen if they don't want to look at the comment sheets and learn how to do it themselves. Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, I'm I'm no longer over the road myself, but in the 28 years I ran over the road, I can remember maybe three times my logbook getting checked. Yeah, yeah it just doesn't happen yeah. that often. That's 
that to me is a misnomer on all of this. Is yeah, it's, that, yeah. That you're not being checked. Oh no, I just I just agreed with Linda again. You know, that is right. That that yeah, that's. I'd rather see, you know, it seems like we've kind of gone to electronic enforcement, too. You know, it's just like, oh, you know what? You know, it's, it's kind of after the fact enforcement. And it's, uh, to me, that doesn't really help safety that much. Yeah, well, let's there have, uh, let's bring Bill back in here. I know he's been holding and probably has some comments to everything that's been saying. And then we got to get to the uh, the other three on your list, Todd, detention time, low freight rates, and high equipment cost emission regulations. But, uh Bill, go ahead. Uh, your thoughts okay. on what we've been all been saying here. Um, the first question I have is for the fellow who's running the container trucks, who is supporting the OBRs and runs them. You said you run oh, five. Tom Blake. Trucks. Tom Blake. Okay, Tom. Uh, you said you run five trucks operating per day. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and there's some days that I. Uh, have six and sometimes seven. I'm short drivers right now, but the most I've ever had out there at a time is seven. Okay, so what, if I can ask, I don't know if this question's already been covered through the other previous interviews or not, what drove you to go to the electronic machines? What drove me is I got a friend that's a DOT officer, and he told me I needed to look at my safe stat score because I was in trouble. So I looked at it, and I was high in the fatigue area. And all this being new to me, I go, what's fatiguing? He goes, it's your logs. I go, I've never been put out of service for a logbook violation before. He goes, have you ever got it? Because the driver's logs aren't current, not signed, hours not totaled. And I, yes, we've had those. He goes, that's where it's at. And so I I talked to my drivers about it, and I've got, uh, I was running uh, Keystone before to do my log checks and everything. And so we was really cracking down on it, and I was still finding the violations. And the drivers weren't getting their logs fi- fixed. They were still not totaling their hours right, uh, not signing their logs, just the small nitpicky stuff. But all of that stuff had me at 87 points in the fatigue rate, and that's why the federal DOT came in and inspected me. I actually okay. lucked out and dodged the bullet because I got the computers in the trucks three months before he came in and inspected me. So and not- so he looked at six months' worth of logs. He looked at three months of paper and three months of electronic. He saw the same thing I saw, but he told me, he goes, you saw your problem, you fixed it yourself, and they left me alone. But it was, I, I was going to close my doors. It was either put computers in my truck or close my doors because I got another friend that runs another small trucking company. DOT came in on him, and they found a receipt for $5.80, matched it up against the driver's logbook. He was in the sleeper, and my friend got fined $13,500 for log falsifications. Well, see, that's what I'm after, and that's what I wanted everybody to hear because Alan knows that Rich Wilson, I think it was on your show, wasn't it, Alan? that Rich Wilson exposed that the FMCSA is going after small companies. And to be totally honest with you, Tom, what those guys are writing you up for, what your violations are, nothing more. And uh, I wish Richard was on here. Uh, He could probably correct me. He'll probably call and correct me if I'm wrong later on after the show or tomorrow. But to me, it sounds like what you are getting uh, corrected on is something called 
form and matter. You know, it's like when you spell big spring and big springs and they nail you for that. Uh, that's just nitpicking after a small company. You're a small, it sounds like you're a decent man, you run a decent company, and yet, because of what the FMCSA came in and said, now you've got to run out and buy these boxes. If I can ask you, how much did you pay for each box? Well, the outfit I went through is fourteen hundred, and then my monthly fee. There are some that are cheaper out there, but I was referred to who I've got now, and that's why I chose to go that way, got go that route. But I, I I'm getting stuff right now from other people that don't have any of that upfront cost, and they're only charging thirty dollars a month, and I'm paying uh, between the the logging part and all that other stuff, plus mine does my fuel taxes for me, which is great. It saves me a lot of time figuring out fuel taxes, but that fuel tax service is $7.50 extra a month per truck. Right. Now, how many trucks do you actually operate that are in your fleet? I own eight of my own, and then I've got one owner-operator. So you've got nine trucks that had to be outfitted with those machines, whether you're no. running them or No, I, I've got a couple trucks that are just parked right now that I'm working on selling. Uh, okay. I, I've got uh, five of my own trucks with them and then the owner-operator. Okay. Now, would you say that a DOD was and the FMCSA or whoever came in and told you to get those boxes, would you say – that they were willing to work with you if you put in something that's known as a safety plan, or would, or did they just come in and tell you, look, this is this is what's going on with your company, and you've no. got to get boxes, or we're going to shut you down. Did they give you the option to take no, the plan? Nobody oh. came in and get, and told me they was going to shut me down. I've got a friend, like I said earlier, this is a DOT officer. He told me I need to look at my safe stats score. I looked at it. I saw the problem. I worked for over a year with my drivers trying to get their logs fixed to not have that problem anymore. They weren't getting the job done. I myself chose that I wanted to stay in business, and I didn't want DOT coming in here and finding me and putting me out of business. So I chose myself to do this. Yeah, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Uh Let's grab some more callers. Uh, listen, a caller from Missouri. I, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't catch your name. Did, is there anything else you wanted to add? I wanted to give you time. Uh, no, uh, I, 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 Ms. Linda, I, uh, I pretty much said what I wanted to say on this issue. Okay. Well, I just wanted to make sure. Let's go to uh, Colorado. Uh, one more. Boy, Todd, this the EOBR thing could be a whole show, but we got to get to the other ones. Let's take this call from Colorado, 303. Go ahead. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alan. Hi, Donna. Hey, Everybody what's going on? on there? Um, I actually drove for a company. I drove for a company there out of Colorado that they had the people net track GPS tracking system in the truck. They did not use it as the EOBR. They were fined when they had an audit. They were fined $88,000. That fine was reduced to 25000 if they agreed to put the EOBR program into the system. Well, was this uh, and I, I don't need the name of the company. I don't like I don't like using names on the show. But was it a small company or fairly large or big or what? Um, they had 135 trucks. 
Okay, so so small, just like uh, just like Bill and uh, Richard Wilson has said, Donna too. You know, they are they are targeting those small companies. And I think that's another reason why uh, OIDA is really fighting this as hard as they possibly can. Yeah, I mean, and on the, and on the guys, I wanted to say some one thing about the the the, the notion of, of small companies being targeted. It's kind of like. Uh, with CSA and, and having this fatigue driving uh, category all by itself, um, the, all the big carriers they kind of they, they kind of figured figured it out that the OPRs were going to gain were going to gain that fairly well because um, uh, it reduced all the law violations um, and because the CSA scores are on a, on a curve, you know, they're they're percentile. Rankings against the other population carriers, you know, as as uh, all the EOBR carriers uh, sort of get low low scores, you know, the, the yardstick moves, you know. Um, so carriers without EOBRs having small violations and stuff like this that Tom reacted to um, end up just by the nature of that very system being in trouble. So it's kind of like, uh, I mean, there's. I'm not really making a comment on the fairness of that or, or whatever. It's just um, it's kind of, they've set it up. They've rigged that game to move that way, to move toward the OBRs, to make it sort of uh, within, to make it uh, make sense for the business to move that way. So it's it's, it's kind of a and for for a guy that you know, that like me, I mean, that, that doesn't really like the. Uh, the notion of uh, mandating new equipment and stuff like this—it's—it's um, it's bad that it's, that it's been sort of set up that way. Yeah, I, I know. I hear you. And uh, uh, a caller from Colorado I didn't get your name. Uh, did you want to uh, have anything else to add? No, this is Lee. I don't have anything else. For oh, you. Lee. Okay. Hey, Lee. All right. Um, all right. Well, I tell you, we can we can stay on EOBRs all all show. <laughs> Try to move on to uh, some of the other ones uh, you have here, Todd. And and um, we've got uh, number one with fuel prices. Number two, HOS hours of service and EOBRs. Number three, detention time, shippers and receivers. And that's where I kind of throw that into a uh, you know kind of a regulation issue. So because I, I don't uh, I don't see how that's uh, going to change otherwise, Todd. You don't think you don't think it's solvable without mandatory detention pay being required Say again? You don't think it's solvable without mandatory detention pay being required shippers and receivers or, or carriers, I guess. Well, is it is it mandatory now? I mean, no, it's not mandatory. Um, right. We're, yeah, it's not we're, mandatory. We're getting a lot better at collecting. On detention, and basically not collecting on detention, but avoiding detention. And as much as I don't like the 14-hour rule, it's because of the 14-hour rule that without we're able to go to the, you know, the constantly they yeah. look, you know. Yeah. And, and I've used it um, kind of as a hammer with the shipper. But said, look, if you don't get this out of here by one o'clock, it's going to be ten hours late. Just I'm going to take a 10-hour break on the way there instead of sleeping at the custom. And they look at me and say, you got an EOBR in your truck? <laughs> and I'm fine. Uh, yeah. And, and lo and behold, you know, the, the load got loaded at 1230. 
Hey, you know, well, Tom. Yeah, Tom thinks that, uh, like, like he said before, right? Uh, if everybody had EOBRs, that would solve our detention pay problem, eh, Tom? Yeah, it, one way or the other. You know, we would either raise our freight rate up, or we'd have it in in with it with what we do. Me myself, on my long runs, they get two hours free time to get me loaded. On my short moves, I don't do a whole lot of them. They get an hour. And after that, we're on the clock. Mm-hmm. But the short ones don't pay enough, you know, to where they, on a short run, you could kill yourself and spend all day long on one short run when you should right. be able to get two or three of them in. And it gets them moving. Uh, I had a, one of my big customers that I do, it was always live load. It always took basically an hour to do, and it's a 130-mile round trip. I put the computers in. We started hitting the issues. I called my customer up and said, hey, we're either going to have to raise the rates up to make this worth my driver's time so that they're getting or let me come out and do dropping hooks. Right. He let me do dropping hooks. So now instead of sitting there for an hour and probably a half by the time you get your paperwork and, you know, scaled in, empty, scaled out, loaded, and get your paperwork. Now we're getting there. The load's already loaded. We back underneath it, do a pre-trip on it, and we're rolling down the road within 15 to 20 minutes. Right. Well, you know, Todd, that's interesting what Tom just said. I mean, the the number two, three, and four on your list, HOS and EOBR, detention time, low freight rates, they, they're kind of all tied tied together. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Very much. But what I was trying to get across is the detention time. Well, I mean, Tom, you make a good point. The EOBR could could do that, but, you know, there are those larger operations that can. And, I mean, I think, Donna, we all know this, the EOBRs can be used to still push the drivers further. So, I mean, I, I personally just see there's going to have to be some kind of actual regulation to to do the – you know, compensate for the detention time, but Todd, I find that hard to believe. I don't know how a government can come in and and force uh, private companies and corporations to, you know, say this is how you're going to run your business. Well, don't they do that? Uh, don't they tell us how many hours we can drive and such? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but that's a regulation. Yeah. <laughs> that's a regulation. Well, um, could be a regulation. And FCSA right uh, has been. Uh, "Quote unquote," studying the issue of whether uh, of detention and whether they can, you know, whether they'll they've you know talked about the notion that they may in future request added authority to actually require the shippers and receivers. Um, right. Um, and I know they're headed. They look like they're trying to head that way. It sounds like it sounds like a lot of talk uh, to me in some in some regards, but um, I mean, yeah, maybe it is necessary. I know Jeff actually. Uh, is uh has told me that he's he, he thinks mandatory detention is the way to go, right, Jeff? Well, we what we're also finding what we is this this state driver shortage, and you get what well, the drivers have to learn. What happened with one of our customers is we finally had enough drivers that said, "I'm not going there," and mm-hmm. uh, and they finally you know told the customer, "We can't get drivers to go there anymore." Well, why not? Well, because you take it six hours to unload them. Right. And we, every driver we say, they say, you know, you go here, and they say, no. 
and uh, and that, and that sort of forced the detection that that particular customer. And it's uh, one of those things that we have to learn as drivers to do is that you know the magic word no. Yeah, well, uh, Tim, uh, our, yes. our caller right right here in Florida. Uh, uh, I mean, you're a driver. How how bad? What's your opinion on this de- detention time? We like to hear from drivers on this show too, obviously. So, how what how bad of a problem well, is the detention time for you personally? Well, like I said, I pull I pull a flatbed. So you know, if there's if there's tarping involved and all, I'm being compensated for my time. Like yesterday, yeah. you know, I was paid two hundred fifty dollars to tarp my load. So, you know, for three hours, you know, or two hours, whatever it took me, you know, I was compensated. That's a pretty good hourly rate, but I pull a flatbed. Yeah. However, I've, I've been, you know, for 14 years, I pulled a refrigerated truck, trailer rather, and, you know, sitting sitting down at the Orange Julius down there in, in Haines City for 12 hours to wait to get my load. You know, <laughs> I mean, you need I know to exactly be, where you're talking you, about. You do, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, you need to be compensated, you know. So, yeah, I agree. You know, on one hand, I agree that, you know, look, the government doesn't need to get involved in the private sector. However, if the private sector is not cleaning their house, i.e. brokers, you know, shippers, constantees, taking advantage of detention issues, then we need to get people involved to where it's on the bill of lading. Look. You know, loading time from noon to five. Yeah, oh, might have lost him there. Well, yeah, I'm, I wasn't saying that the government doesn't need to get involved in the private sector. I'm saying that to solve this detention time problem, they're going to have to. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is um, uh, Can I ask I'd a like, question? I'd like to see us clean our own house instead of the government legislating yeah. everything. The government already has their hands in way too much of our lives as it is. I agree with that, and, and like I, you know, me, myself, uh, what I've said about these uh, computers, if if every company, whether they got a computer or not, makes their drivers run 100% legal, hit that on-duty line when you hit the dock, stay on duty until you're off the dock, it's going to eat your 14 hours up, Drivers get paid by the hour, but those people that are shipping the load and, and detaining the truck are going to get billed on it. You know, and if every carrier, not brokers, not shippers, if every carrier would finally decide that we're going to run 100% legal, we're not going to let drivers fudge on their logbooks at all anymore, we wouldn't have the problem. And I, I, yeah, I yeah, but yet. I always think that we should. The thing is, you know, we got a Fair Labor Standards Act that from the 30s that, and we got drivers working for free. I always say, you know, they got eight o'clock appointment. They show up for work at eight o'clock. You start paying them at eight o'clock. You shouldn't have to wait until ten, but mm-hmm. they have to get on duty. Yeah, to get paid for yeah. it. And they, oh, we, we believe me, I jump up and down and say yes to that. You know. Yeah, but Jeff, uh, I mean, if every Every company out there ran legal. That kind of like living in a perfect world. I mean, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. But so, but so what's I, what the is, is positive incentives, and the positive incentive to the driver is 
and it, you know, it's an antiquated law that drivers don't get paid by the hour. You know, you know, set up for the railroad for thirty, and you know, for quarters to not get paid while they're sleeping. But you know, we're at work. Somebody shows up for work at eight o'clock. You know, a machinist shows up for work at eight o'clock and say, "Well, we're not going to pay you until ten. Now the machinist is going to go work someplace else." And I like to see that happen in the truck industry. Is that you show up for your eight o'clock appointment, you get paid at eight o'clock, but you but you have to log it on duty. And I think Tom and I seem to agree with on that. Yeah. Can I ask a question to, to anybody who wants to answer it? Um, a lot of company drivers uh, now the 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 shippers or receivers they do pay retention time, but the drivers never get it. Uh, is this a problem? I've heard of it. You've never heard of it? I have heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of the, the notion that you know I never. Um, um, it's not something that I looked at really, really hard, though, so I don't. I never got any good examples of it, but um, I'm sure if I if I did, I'd probably find some. Okay, because <clears throat> I mean, I'm just going by, you know, the different comments I read or the mm-hmm. emails, that or yeah. you Thank know, you. How... I mean, that's, that's what I've heard. I've heard just you know, in commentary and, and online and such. Or you know, if and it's the, the obvious thing too, if a company's paying fifty bucks an hour to catch pay. Or uh, I should say, a company is paying fifty dollars an hour, and the and the as a company driver, what what percentage of that is he is he, does he get? Yeah, right. Yeah, they keep and get some to him, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, how many times we get an email that you know we never got paid in our check on our check uh, for the detention time, yeah. or, or a whole list of other reasons that they didn't get paid. Right. And um, you know that's why you know I think what Tom said is 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 good. I mean, if everybody did everything legal and everybody, but the problem is they don't, and they do push drivers, and that that's real. They don't pay them mm-hmm. detention time. I mean, not all the time, but a lot of times that's real. So now we're we're talking about you know humanity here and. Uh, and versus uh, the bottom line versus, you know, fairness to your employees. So, you know, it sounds like, Tom, that you're really, you know, good and decent person. Um, I don't I don't know how many good and decent people, you know, there are out there, though. I mean, you know, there's no right. survey you take. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I solve a lot of this issue by taking away the exemption. From interstate workers from the Fair Labor Standards Act. Yeah, I mean, what? Again? Say again? I would Could like you say to that? Take away the. Right now, interstate workers are exempt from the Fair Labor, Stand, from Fair Labor Standards as far as hourly rate. I, I think if we take away that exemption, we solve half the issues in the industry. Right. Well, and, and you know, there's a lot of people that argue that uh, the fact that we have EOBR sort of takes away the original reason for that exemption as well, right? Um, because yeah, if we're going to be paid, if we're not, you know, if the reason for the exemption was because okay, we can't keep track of these guys. We got to pay them. We got to give them incentives to to, to work, right? But if right. we have EOBR and everybody tracks, you know, like everybody's tracked, and we all are tracked anyway because we're our cell phones. And stuff, yeah. so, 
we can keep up with each other now, whether or not we have EOBR. Um, yeah, shouldn't we, you know, should this exemption exist? You know, should, shouldn't charge drivers be paid overtime? People of course. Argue that for sure. Of course it should, and uh, that was a whole big show we had. Uh, yeah, yeah, you guys, yeah, you guys did it. I remember that now, yeah. Yeah, I've done a show. I've written about it, blogged about it quite often yep. about yep. that. But uh, Hafner was on that show. Uh, that was about nine months ago. I, yeah, we should listen to it. I think I'll listen to the replay because, yeah, he brought up a lot yeah. of – Yeah, so, I mean, it's all about the exemption, like Jeff said. Another, another hand popping up, uh, Missouri, area code 314. Welcome to the show. Linda again. Oh, okay. <laughs> you must have dropped off and popped back up there again. I saw your hand pop up there. Well, you have any comments? Off. Yeah, we just we just came across Donner's why I lost signal. But I, I was curious on what we think the hourly pay would be if it was mandated. I don't think the hourly pay should be mandated. No, I think it's no, you could go no, no, Jeff, Jeff, no. How much would we be paid if it was mandated? Not how. How much money would we make if it was that's mandated that's by it. by the government at non-classified workers? Well, I, I think it, it's the same as anybody else. It's between you and the company. It's supply and demand. The government, other than a minimum wage, wouldn't be mandating it. Mandating you get paid twelve dollars an hour, fifteen dollars an hour, you get whatever you get. And uh, that's where I it see wouldn't it. Be, the man, it wouldn't be mandated hourly either, would it? Or would it? No. Um you just yeah, see, I, I mean, there'd be limits on how much you work, right? Limits on how much you can work in a certain but, amount of time. But wow. you know, the 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 idea is companies don't if they get two hours of free time they're going to use it. Right. If they if they're getting billed right away, they're going to you know get the truck loaded right away. Yeah. And somebody that loads the truck in a half an hour instead of two hours should get some kind of incentive to do that. Yeah, I mean I, I've heard I've heard you know when talk about this before when we were doing a show and stuff. You know, number. I mean, it's hard to really determine because every operation is yeah. different. And I mean, how? I mean, do you do you pay a flat better the same price as a as a, a van or a, what about the specialized hauler or the car haulers? I mean, there's so many different things. Does a local yeah. driver get the same hourly rate as an OTR? So I've heard 25 an hour. I mean, that would be pretty difficult to uh, to determine. I don't know who would do that. But uh, I tell you, let's go uh, one more. Here, this might have been Tim. He dropped off in uh, 904 Florida. A hand popped up again. Tim, is that you? Yeah, yeah, I lost my coverage there temporarily. But it's funny you should bring up this. I brought this. I proposed this idea on a, on a Facebook room that I was in about hourly pay. And mm-hmm. uh, and the number, the, the way the way that I personally figured it up uh, would be you got to base it on each trip, like a 1,000-mile trip. You know, you got to base it on. You give the customer the shipper in and the constant in x amount of hours to to load and unload, and then you got to factor in the total trip time, including your break time and all of that. So a thousand mile trip is a twenty hour driving trip. You add in two four hours for loading and unloading. You got you know you got two days involved in this load. You know, I'm looking, you know, in order for me to stay in business, because I've looked at my operation, I thought about this, 
before I ask a question, I would have to make $135 an hour. <laughs> just just well, stay in business. I, 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 I would Tom, go along with that. Your, Tom, do you charge your rates? Uh, do you talk to your, uh, to your shippers about rates in hourly terms? Do, do I? Yeah. Tom. Uh, yeah, uh, well... Uh, on my long runs, I, I always kind of figure that that's all the truck's going to get done in a day. So when I figure out those rates, I figure out how much my overhead is, how much is that truck costing me a day, insurance, permits, and all that stuff. So all that stuff's already figured out. And then mm-hmm. what the drivers are, and that's how I figure out my rate. But my short haul rate that I do uh, out to Concordia, Missouri, my we we went round and round for three weeks. Uh, the gentleman called me up and asked me to shoot him a rate. I shot him a rate. He called me back two days later. He goes, you're in the middle with your freight rate. Your fuel surcharge is lower than anybody else's. But And I have to have specialized equipment for that load. Uh, I have an extra axle on my truck, so I charge him for the use of that. He goes, I don't understand this. And when I, he kept on trying to get me to come down on my freight rate, and it's only this many miles. It's only this many miles. I go, yeah, but it's this many hours. Mm-hmm. you got to figure it's going to take us an hour to get that container out of the shipyard. It's going to take us an hour to drive out to your facility. It's going to take us an hour to get loaded, plus the getting the paperwork, then an hour back to Kansas City, and then sit in line in the rail to get the container turned in. I go, I've got to be able to pay my drivers a decent enough wage that they will want to haul your loads. Well, we went round and round for three weeks, and I wouldn't budge. Then he called me up and he goes, I'm going to have you do 10 of, the, 10 of these loads as an experiment. That was seven years ago. I hauled six of those every five days a week. And, then the and I've been doing it for seven years. Are the drivers making hourly pay from you on those? Actually, they're they're getting paid by the round. By the trip, okay. By the trip. And like I say, it's a 130-mile round trip. And I just told you how many hours it takes on average, but now we're actually doing dropping hooks out there. My guys make $80 per round trip. I got drivers that can turn three of those in a day. And so they're they're turning 390 miles in that day. They're having to do... Basically, six dropping hooks between getting their containers and dropping them and everything else. But they're making decent money doing it. They're they're happy. They like doing them. But I had to stand my ground. You know, they they kept on telling me it's only this many miles, and it's like no, it's this many hours. Yeah, well, that's the whole that's the whole key that's the whole key to you got to you got to look at all aspects in order to run the sex, successful business. That's what you are doing. Uh, i got a lot of callers. I'm just trying to get in as, as quick as we can before time runs out. Uh, another caller from uh, Missouri, uh, last four digits, uh, 5209. Uh, go ahead. Welcome to the show. Hey, Alan. This is Z. I just have a question. Would it affect a pay with the um, – if we were considered – the government has us considered as unskilled labor, professional drivers. How do we go start about getting that changed? And I believe that would help our pay in the long run. What do you think about it? Uh, I didn't catch all you said. Donna, did you catch all that? 
She's wondering about oh, the classification, like the unskilled versus skilled labor classification that the, I guess the labor department has, right? Oh, correct. The unskilled, the unskilled yeah. labor you're talking about? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's unskilled labor at this point. And I think that affects how we're perceived as. Oh, it does. You know. I mean, big okay. time. I mean, the, the the unskilled labor classification has to do with global economics. I mean, 70% of Americans are classified as unskilled, and because of that classification, that's that's one of the major ways to keep wages down for the people in that classification. So certainly, Donna, we've gone over this before, too. you got to turn your phone on, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, here, I'm talking over here, and it's on mute. Because, um, I mean, I've studied that, and it's really all about global economics, but 70% of Americans, and, and I mean, if they, if they, which I don't think they ever would, but if they could get away from that unclassified skill, well, I, the labor, would, the wages would go up. I would think so, because I would have to. Of that, a lot of that has to do with um, training required for mm-hmm. a job, for your, for your job, and... If, if we had if training you don't standards, have, if, we yeah, had, the, if we had federally mandated training standards, then theoretically we could get this, this skill. Yes. Case. There you go, Todd. And I think that that's a huge thing. I'm so glad Richard's going to be speaking about this at the convention. Um, I mean, I, I know he always gives a great presentation, so I know he's going to cover it all. But uh, – that I think is uh, a huge thing of why the training they have this three week training uh and and if we prove which you know we're trying to prove that that the standards need to be established in this industry, then yeah, that's gonna change everything and i I think that it takes a big part of why training standards aren't being uh really you know, everybody's shying away from it because I think they know it's going to be a snowball effect. Well, if they – go ahead. No, no I'm I, I, oh. Who was that? Mm-hmm. I don't know how many lines. It's me, and I was just saying that I was agreeing with you. I'm really – the whole training thing is where we got to start, and it needs to be regulated. And then we need to get us – classified as um, skilled labor professionals, you know, and and to bring up our socioeconomic standings in the ratings here. I really firmly believe that. So that's my two cents. Yeah, no, it's a good two cents, and and I'm going to make another point here. I don't think people connect the dots with all this, and and we've said this before. All these uh, issues and topics, they're all related to something else. And when you change one, it's going to change another. And most people, you know, they look at everything separately. But when you really dive into all these issues, I mean, first of all, it'll give you a headache. And, you know, it, it is difficult to comprehend. Somebody has to really sit down and want to put it all together. Well, if you, re- if you really study... The unskilled labor classification, it all has to do with global economics. That's going to be a huge, huge difficult thing to have changed. It's on a global scale. It's 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 keeping wages down. I mean, yeah, that that's the that's that's the major reason for unclassified, uh, you know, 
uh, scale. That's why yeah. that's why it is. It all has to do with global economics. I've I've studied that thing upside and down. Bill, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to get you in here. I've got so many callers here, but jump on in here. What do you think? Oh, is he still there? Hey, Bill. Uh, might not have him here. Okay, well, listen, we're winding down here about 15, 20 minutes. Let's go. Detention time, Todd, low freight freight rates, kind of all tied in with the EOBRs and detention time. Your five, your top, your all your list here are telling us the uh, the challenges. So number four on your list, low freight rates. What's the solution? Um. Well, we've we've talked a little bit about it here. Um, there's there's lots of different things that we talked about. I know talking with Jeff, uh, you know, if you if you're able to, uh, if you're in a self dispatch operation, and I'm sure that uh, Tim, if he's still on the line, would have quite a bit to say about this. You know, finding finding uh, not just focusing on you know back and forth between two places. You know, say one place is your home and one place place that you typically go outbound to deliver to, but breaking up the backhauls, you know, trying triangulating the backhaul, quote unquote yeah, backhaul with two more profitable legs. Yeah, I'm out, uh, I'm that, out of my cheap leg now. That's what I call it. Out of my triangle. Um and it's you know, we have to say no sometimes and sometimes you know, uh, I used to run a lot of well I still do We'll run five, six stops on a really high-paying road to Chicago, and get paid a lot for a stop with with meat stuff, mostly meat. And uh, then they'll turn around and want me to haul a load back to Green Bay for 150 bucks. And I, said, no, <laughs> I said, no, you know, I'm better off going back empty than and getting instead of getting, you know, three turns a week, I get five turns a week if I come back empty. And that's more profitable, and, and people have got to be aware of that. That you know, you know, take a look and say, that's just not worth my time. And yeah. uh, and, and people have to, you know, just know what it, what it costs and say no sometimes, even if it is, you know, there's, you know, I run a lot of Green Bay to Chicago. Green Bay to Chicago pays really well, but Chicago to Green Bay doesn't pay um, much at all, and. There are sometimes you just gotta say no. That's just forget it. That's not worth it. Well, you know, I just want to jump in here again, and and this is another case of connecting the dots. Um, you get companies who put uh, drivers out, new drivers, force them into a lease program, and they really don't really know what they're doing um, because they don't have not their fault. Uh, they they just don't have the experience. And they don't understand uh, the, you know, profit and, you know, so they have these numbers of how much they want to, you know, make a mile and all this. So I think it's not being educated with business sense that it causes a lot of the cheap freight, uh, people taking freight because, you know, they just don't know any better. Now, yeah, tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm, you know, just out there. Well, I think they know better, but I, You're I tell you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think they know better, but uh, I've always said um, one way to end this low freight rate is exactly what Tom Blake did. And Tom, you stuck to your guns for three weeks, but, I mean, if they could all do that, I've, 
I've always said that the, the, the freight rates are controlled by the motor carriers, not by the shippers and receivers. But, Tom, how how many of so many of those smaller trucking companies out there, how long can they hold to their guns? I mean, that's that's the that's a big issue. Well, you know, I've I've explained to my customers numerous times. That, you know, I'm not the highest freight rate. There's there's outfits that do what I do that charge a lot more than I do, and I'm not the lowest. I, I figured out what it cost me to operate in the way that I operate, and I stick to my guns. And then I provide better service than what anybody else will. My trucks are on time every time. You know, uh, one of the places that where I started out when it was just me and one truck, I would get there, and as they was picking up uh, these boxes that have scrap metal in them that was dripping oil out, I would be sitting on their dock throwing some dry sweep on the floor and cleaning it up so that the forklift operator wouldn't be tracking it back and forth through. They really thought I was doing them a favor, but what I was doing is making it to where they would load me quicker because otherwise the forklift driver was going to get off of his forklift, clean up the oil so he wouldn't track it through the plant. So I gave them a service, and I do it for a fair price. I know what my operating costs are. I keep them down, and I chose years ago to become debt-free. And so I ran my old 94 International for an extra year and a half before I bought anything, but when I bought that truck, I paid cash for it. And I've every truck since then has been paid cash. And when you put yourself into that situation, you don't have to worry about it because you can park your truck if you have to. But, you know, you have the key point you said you you figured out what you needed to uh what you needed to make and what i what i'm saying is there's a lot of people uh getting into the business that probably shouldn't be in the business yet because they don't have enough experience right and they're taking rates that they think are profitable but they're not and and i think and we also have a lot of people that are getting in, and they buy the truck, they get running, and they get down the road, and they get that first four or five thousand dollar paycheck, and they really think they're making really good money, and so they either go buy another house, go buy a pickup, go buy a four wheeler toy or something like that, and they don't realize that down the road they've got to buy more license plates, or they might have to do a in frame on their motor and they're not setting back money for maintenance, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's something that I've actually toyed with the idea of writing a book so you want a truck and to say this is what you need to think about. This is the way it works, you know. Go check out, the, uh, go check out uh, Partners in Business Manual, too. <laughs> well, you know, we're trying to do a little bit of that, too, so, yeah, overdrive. But, you know, uh, yeah. we got a lot I'd of... I'd like to read good, yours much better, Tom, for sure. Than yours yeah. Is, but. <laughs> we, we, you know, if owner-operators especially would know and, and be mentored that you need to set this much money aside for a maintenance fund, you need to have this much set aside mm-hmm. for your annual property taxes, your IRP or whatever, get that in your bank. Put yourself on a salary. 
you know, you guys all think I'm crazy, but I was running my truck, and I paid myself $2,500 a month. I would have made more money as a company driver. But I sacrificed for a lot of years to build my business. All the profit went back into buying trucks, and I built my own shop. I do a lot of my own maintenance. That's why I'm late coming on the show today is because I was saving a hundred and whatever dollars an hour of labor for something I can do myself. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this before. I've written about it, talked about it, but, you know, again, the problem there, too, is so many of these newcomers coming out of CDL school, they're hit, like Donna, I think you said a minute ago, they're hit immediately by the company. Hey, you need to you need to lease a truck and become an owner-operator. They have no idea of what it run, takes to run the business. So right. it's it's the inexperience that is killing uh, killing so many. I'm trying to keep track of all the callers. Sorry, I, I've got so many hands up. I, I'm, my eyes are going cross, but I'll grab Tim here if you're still there, a driver from Florida. Uh, yeah. Tim, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Hey, what, what's your thoughts as a driver, low freight rate solution? Uh, well, it's supply and demand. Uh, this is a question. You know, I've been driving for 30 years, and I've always – even as a company driver, I, I, I figured I would do better on a percentage. That I just this is an answer that I have yet to be able to find. You know, I mean, it, it's beyond me. People out here that will put a dollar fifty a mile on their trailer and go somewhere with it. You know, I mean, how yeah. long are you going to spend on that load? You know, for a dollar fifty a mile? Oh, I'm, I'm going two thousand miles. I'm like, God, man, you're working a whole week and you're not and you're losing money. I, I don't understand. Where do these people go? Because they don't stay in business, you know. And I guess it works now because we're in a downed economy. But, you know, I know what my bottom line is. I got a I got a copyright P&L sheet, you know, that I had copyrighted. I know what my bottom line is. And, unfortunately, I'm not debt-free. But even if I was debt-free, my, you know, my, my I'm not a garage sale hauler. I offer a good service, and I won't. I won't premium. I won't premium money for my service, or you're not going to get my service. That's the way I treat it. But you know, and I think that's the solution. But there again, you got people out here that will haul it for nothing. And I just, you know, fuel cost, fuel cost from Chicago to Houston is the same it is from Houston to Chicago. You know, it is. It costs you the same amount of money to run it both ways. And I'd like to personally meet the individual that created the word backhaul so I can put right. him right in the notes. You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't, well, well it, it wasn't me, I can guarantee you, so I don't want to be hitting the nose. But I think that's that's the key there is, and like Tom Blake has has uh, ex- expressed here, I mean, you got to know every aspect of the business to run a successful business. What's going on is... Uh, all these uh, the the new drivers coming into the industry, all they see is, hey, you can, you know, lease a truck, become an owner operator, be your own boss. I mean, we'll pay you a dollar a mile, we'll give you twenty five hundred miles a week. So they're thinking, all they think is, man, a dollar a mile, twenty five hundred miles a week. That's twenty five hundred dollars a week. Uh, Doesn't work that way, Tom. It's so sad to, the, no. to hear. Oh, the. Uh, Go ahead. As much as you want to demand that, you know, say I want to, it costs as much to drive from Houston to Chicago as it does from Chicago to Houston, the bottom line is the freight from Houston to Chicago doesn't pay as well because there's not as much of it. It's not so much the word backhaul as it's just supply and demand. Yep. Right, right. I tell you, let's uh, – 
try to get in some more callers here, and I don't know if this is one I've already got. I've got a lot of Missouris up here. Uh, last last four digits, 5683. Uh, welcome to the show. I don't know if you've already been here, but go ahead. This is Linda again. Oh, you, your hand keeps popping up and popping down. Okay, well, any comments? <laughs> I do have comments. I was uh, on this uh, $1.50 a mile. Everybody should know their own expenses, and it doesn't have to be $1.50 per mile on each person. You need to know your own expenses. And I also, on another thing that was said earlier, that people were forced to buy a truck on a lease. I I disagree with that force. Nobody grabs your hand and makes you sign that lease to buy a truck. You you make that decision. And there are so many free ways out here to learn how to do this business, from the magazines, from the blogs, from what you're doing. There is no excuse to not learn how to run a business. Uh, there's just too much out here. Mm-hmm. And I also, on, on what Jeff said, about going somewhere, the freight's high, the freight could be lower coming back. You need to figure that into your round trip on how much you need per mile. It's, it doesn't have to be a dollar fifty all of the time. It can be a dollar seventy-five one way and a little less coming back. It still rounds out to be the same thing. And that goes back to knowing your expenses. Another thing I thought about is it's not always paid per mile, but it's what you make per day. And you have to oh, yeah. know how much per day to be out here and, and that I think sometimes people get so stuck on pay per mile that yeah, they, they wait a, a wait a week they'll wait a week you know for that proper pay per mile load and then right. they've not they've screwed themselves on not making enough per day to survive right mm-hmm. oh you're exactly right I mean we got all you savvy drivers on here we get a lot of a lot of newcomers listen to the show so listen up everybody got some good drivers here but I'll tell you one way the I'll tell you one way they're forced into the lease is uh, after spending four, five, six thousand dollars, three, four, five thousand, whatever, for the CDL training, and then they're told they start then they get hit with this lease thing. Hey, lease a truck, you can make more money. Well, they don't want to. So what happens is a lot of times is well we don't have a truck available right now. You know, go home. We'll call you when we do. Three, four, five weeks go by, still don't have a truck available. Uh, they got to get to work. They just spent they just spent several thousand dollars for a CDL. Uh, they they um, just finally get so frustrated. They you know they go okay you know put me in a truck. I'll be a lease owner operator. That's just one one way uh, and several other ways. But I won't get onto it here. But uh, and just my opinion. But uh, I hear from a lot of a lot of newcomers who uh, been sitting at home for five six seven weeks with the excuse we don't have any trucks available. We'll call you. And uh, finally, they just give in and say, "Okay, where's uh, let me sign on the dotted line." Uh, Todd, last number five on your list: high equipment cost and emission regulations. We're back into the regulations now. The high equipment cost. Um, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you're, you, you were talking about the tires and the uh, engine repairs and all that good stuff. I mean, 150 bucks for an oil change. And new trucks. I mean. New trucks and used trucks. New, new trucks have gone. New trucks have changed. Uh, what well, gone up about thirty, forty percent new uh, price in the past six years, five years. That's a that's a ton. I know my truck. I paid one hundred six thousand dollars for it. Its basic replacement truck now is about one hundred forty thousand. And I mean, it's, it's, 
It's six years. Yeah, they they gone up that much. It's a big yeah, rise. Yeah, they got a good deal. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I get my when I went to look at replacing this truck and this this truck. Well, this truck I bought off a lot because the the dealer up here in Wisconsin had fifteen of them. I, I suspect that maybe he uh, had somebody cancel a purchase or something, mm-hmm. and somebody could have. And maybe that's as a single owner operator, we have to just hunt that because we don't have the buying power to go in and say, "Look, I'm buying 15 trucks. What kind of deal are you going to give me?" So we, we might have to hunt that a little bit more. Well, I'm, yeah. I mean, Tom Blake, you have. Uh, I mean, these are these are the top five lists that. Uh, Todd came up with on the top challenges by owner operators, so we know what the challenges are. Now we're trying to talk about the solutions. Uh, you brought up a solution to this high equipment cost, and that is if, if you can do as much work as you can, do it. Do right. as much work as yourself, you know, do it. That's one way. Yeah, and when he said $150 oil change, if you can get your oil change in a truck, truck stop anymore for 150 that's a bargain. Uh yeah. My well, see, I, may be, I may be behind the times. What is an oil change now? They're running 300 to 350 yeah. depending on what shop you want to go to. <clears throat> An oil change? Yes. A lot of oil. Oil is not cheap. Well, yeah, see, right? it's going up a lot. Between all your filters, the lube, and the oil change, uh, the owner-operator that's got his truck leased on to me, he's got to give me his maintenance records, and I look at that, and you know, I shake my head because I do my own. You know, and, and that's where I save a lot of money. I do my own brake shoes. I've, I'll change the differential. I've done transmissions. The only thing I don't do is go into the motor. Uh, if, if something's going on with the motor because I've got all the electronic motors, I'll take it to the shop because they've got all the equipment to do that, and I pay for it being done that way. Yeah, but, of course. But I always do cost analysis. When, when I get a truck that's starting to have a couple problems and whatnot, you know, I'll go inspect trucks, and last year I spec'd a brand-new truck, and then when I sat down and crunched the numbers, I couldn't see oh, on a five-year basis that it was going to pay for itself over five years being as expensive as what it was. And I turned around and found a Western Star that had, I think, 420,000 miles on it, and it had a major engine work at 380,000 and I picked it up for a good price. It's been a good truck. I've had it since November, and it's already paid for itself. Now, Tom, yeah, well, see, this is this is. I, oh, go ahead. Is that Jeff? Go ahead. When I look at a new truck, though, I don't look at it as a five-year asset. I look at it as more of an eight-year asset because that's how long I'm planning on keeping it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that that would probably change the math a little bit. But but I hear what you're saying. But I don't have. Yeah, I I I have. Unmechanical is going to be. I can change a light bulb. You know? Yeah. I can probably figure out how to change my oil, but I, I just have no desire to get. If I come home at the end of the week, I park my truck at the shop and I go home. You know, right. and I and I, and I can still be profitable doing it that way. Mm-hmm. But I don't run five trucks. Right. Well, another thing. I mean, another thing I did. I mean, I've been off the road for six years. I guess that. I guess that's easy to tell if I still think an oil change is a one forty nine ninety five. But, but um, that's bargain. <laughs> man, I, I I can't believe it. I, I'm 
I, I'm dating myself here, but one another thing that I did was I, I found my own personal mechanic, you know, when the thing was home when I could, you know, and I could save money that way. But, Tom, you brought up a good point. A lot of the newcomers don't even know. Every every time I had an oil change, I had an oil analysis done. You know, I got I got some of that oil at the bottom of the pan, and I sent it to uh, whatever the lab was, and and it told me a lot. And and uh, a lot of newcomers still don't know that. So it's all these things tied in that keeps that you know keeps that machine running and keeping you profitable. But um, uh, man, I got I got to check out <laughs> Donna <laughs> next time you're out. Look, check these truck stops check, for that oil, check price, oil change price. I know, I can't go out because they they, they mm-hmm. shocked me. I, I I got an oil change. Had one of the drivers get one on the road one night because the, the speed co was in between where he was at and where he was getting loaded, and he was doing service. And I, hey, just stop by speed co. I got stuff going on this weekend. Well, he got it done, and I got the bill and looked at it. I'm like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, was, I was too. Remember now these new trucks. Go longer between oil changes. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's the, uh, the benefit of them riding the fuel mileage as well. Oh, I'm still it. Yeah, I still change mine every twenty thousand miles. I get my okay. service every ten thousand, and change your oil every twenty thousand. But the motor says I can change every forty-five thousand. Oh and yeah. That, and back yeah. when the back when the motor back when the oil changes were one hundred fifty bucks, I didn't think about it. I was good changes every ten thousand miles. Now, you know, when yeah. you start to think about going to that 45,000 miles, and maybe my next truck I might, you know, do it. But this truck, it's kind of a weird thought of mine. It's that it's used to getting new oil every 20,000 miles. I don't want to change it now. Yeah, I hear you. As long as you get, as long as you get like, a long baseline of oil analysis uh, on the oil, Jeff, I think you can probably stretch out like that as long as you're getting good results on that. Yeah, I get my oil analysis done every 100,000 miles. And okay. so far, as a matter of fact, I just, just yesterday turned 800,000 miles on it. So, uh... Well, that's know, the I, key. Yeah, yeah, I figure I figure two more years on this truck. That is, that is, that is you know, what am I going to do? You know, I'll be 55 <laughs> years old. And, uh, and this shit, I'm dead free now, too, but it's... And putting... And what, what I've been doing is I've been putting money every week aside for the new truck, but, you know, that 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 could pay the house off, too. So it's, it's got a that decision at, at that point. It, you know, it's everything goes into it, you know, and, and, and the high equipment cost is one of them. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll buy, I used to buy a used truck, and this is the first truck I ever bought new. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe, maybe I'll go back, and that's how I'll, you know, kind of beat the system is to buy a used truck again. Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, that's what I recommend that all the time to the new – I mean, they want to jump out there and be owner-operators and, and buy that $180,000, $190,000 rig, and it's like, well, you know, you're you're heading down the wrong road there. But uh, <clears throat> number five, Todd, on your list, high equipment costs, and also emission regulations. We're back on the regulations. Uh, yeah, uh, that, and that's – that that's one of the top challenges, but um, where's the solution to emission regulations? It's it's well, regulatory. And I had that there simply as uh, being the you know, being the primary driver of the, the high truck prices. All the all the uh, R and D the makers had to put into meeting the emissions regulations. You know which oh you know, okay. they're there for they're there for 
they're there for reasons, you know, clean up the air and all that. But at a certain point, you know, it's just uh, it's yeah, it's meddling in the economy in a big way. And it's also you know, messy. It's messing with the fuel mileage of the new truck too. Yeah, yeah, and messing with and messing with the used truck prices is nobody ever, nobody wants to buy the new truck. Yeah, so but yeah. one of the things you know, I, I go look and I'm getting seven miles per gallon with my truck, and mm-hmm. I and, and the fleet the fleet buys new trucks, and you go and you know ask what they're getting with their new trucks, and they're getting six point two. Well, if I'm getting yeah. seven miles per gallon with my truck that's paid for, I'll be damned if I got to go spend one hundred forty thousand. That's something right. that gets 6.2, you know. Right. Well, the good news on that is, I, I, well, from what I'm hearing, uh, like the 2010 and, and later engines with the SCR treatment and them are getting uh, a good deal better or at least get, get reapproaching the level that the fuel miles level of the 2006 engine. But these are on 2011s. And okay. We haul. So they are, they are SCRs then, yeah. <coughs> we yeah. haul. Everything I, I, I very rarely see under seventy eight thousand pounds. Yeah. And, I just heard that hey, totally, you know. So Yeah, it's a lot of it has to do with that. It's always yeah. if I argue with these it guys that get seven and a half or at eight miles per gallon, great, you know, but you know yeah. just still there, put some freight in your truck, you know, see how you do. You know, and, <laughs> and Yeah. It, yeah. All right, well it, I'll tell you it's it's a great Great list you came up with, a good survey here you did, Todd. And, and uh, listen, our time's running out here, but uh, kind of bring it all together for us and wrap it up here. Wrap it up, wrap it up here for us. Oh, I don't know. Like Donna said, you know, when you start you start getting into all this, uh, you, you think too hard about it, you get a, get a little bit of a headache. But I've tried to put it together in, like, some digestible pieces. Um, I'd, I'd encourage people to go and uh, go over to Overdrive and, and check out the uh, – Check out the the series of, of online pieces that I've done relative to this, to a lot of this, and um, you know, go back and re-listen to this talk tonight. It's been a great one. I'm glad uh, glad everybody could could join. Tom, Jeff, and Tim, and, and and Linda and Bill and, and everybody else called in. And um, yeah, thanks a lot. The uh, if you get over to the uh, the Overdrive site, um, there's a I think there's a, there's a link in the top. Uh, the link in kind of one of the top menus that to owner operators top challenges is the text link and that'll get you to like a, a main page for all the different stories that we've been getting out there. Um, uh, that's on, on that's the, on the, on the that's on the overdriveonline.com. Yeah, it's on the homepage. It'll be in the, one of the like the sub menu at the top of the page. You know, I'm, I'm about okay. To and it, is that also going to take them over to your channel 19 blog because you've got yeah. you've got uh, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, a lot of those are on the Channel 19 blog. You can get to them from this page as well. And Channel 19 blog, you can get there, just overdriveonline.com backslash Channel 19. And I've been doing okay. this for the past couple of weeks now. So. Yeah, I mean, it, I've been over there, man. It's, a, it's really great information. Everybody needs to go over there and read read your series. It's just really, really great work. We've got a uh, – and, uh, you know, I appreciate all the callers and listeners. We've still got a little bit of time here. We have, uh, we have them from uh, – stretching from from uh utah to maine so uh, i i might have missed somebody i tried not to but uh glad you all listen in but listen our time's running out todd thanks again for coming on the show and a great survey valuable information really appreciate it thanks to you thanks to uh thanks to alan uh, jeff tom as well 
Yeah, and Jeff Clark, uh, truckingsolutionsgroup.com. Uh, thanks for joining us as well. Really appreciate it, too. Well, thank you. And Tom Blake, enjoyed having you on the program. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us. I uh, appreciate you guys thinking I'm worthy to be on the show. Uh, but I uh, just hope that we open some eyes. Yeah, they have a lot of great information and uh, people that know what they're talking about. Got a lot of newcomers listening, so uh, I'm sure they've learned a lot. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. Great show. We'll take a quick uh, sponsor break, and when we return, Donna will give us her weekly announcements, and we'll wrap up this broadcast of Truth About Trucking Live. So hang with us, and we'll, we'll be right back. You're listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Alan Smith here with Truth About Trucking Live and AssetTrucker.com with an important message for owner-operators and fleet owners. Hodgeon Incorporated is a company that makes the Dynasys APU, and if you're considering an auxiliary power unit for your truck but thought you just couldn't afford it, you need to talk to the Dynasys guys about their all-new financing program. The Dynasys APU saves fuel and provides AC, heating, plug-in power, all of those comfort necessities you deserve when you have to shut down for your mandatory break. It's definitely the smart way to be comfortable and save money. Their finance program is designed to make your monthly payment nearly half of what you're spending on fuel with their goal of making APUs available for every hardworking driver. They realize that times are tough and that credit is hard to come by, so they offer four credit plans giving all owner-operators and fleet owners a guaranteed financing opportunity. They can even get you hooked up with grants that can cover APU costs as well. Give them a call at 1-800-289-8282. Toll free 1-800-289-8282 or just Google search Dynasys APU. Visit them online at hodjohn.com. That's H-O-D-Y-O-N.com. The Dynasys APU, the best solution to engine idling. Heads up, truckers. Are you looking for deals on trucks, trailers, parts, or equipment? Or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. There's a lot of copycats out there, but you know, there's only one. Truth About Trucking Live. Now, back to the show. All right, well, Donna, you know, the number one uh, challenge on Todd Dill's list was fuel prices. So, uh, you know, that there's one, there's one solution for it right there, the, the APU. Well, we've got that show coming up yep. uh, on the 30th, and we're going to be talking about uh, APUs and truck stop electrification and idling laws and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yep. yeah. So, some solutions right there to the number one uh, challenge. So, uh, well, okay, let's see what we got. We have 15 minutes and 19 seconds. What do you have for us this week? Well, first of all, I wanted to announce the winners of the tickets. Um, uh, Cobra had uh, given away uh, a ticket, 
and a ticket to what? Oh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> a new truck. Yeah, right. Everybody's sitting there wondering why. <laughs> You know what it is? I'm reading my notes and I'm talking. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, it's a ticket to the truck driver convention in October. So we have one from Cobra, and then we all, we got so many, so much response from that little um, blurb we put up on our Facebook page, and Kari Fisher also put it up on, I think, her page or Share the Road or something, and it said, you know, one ticket's being given away. Just you know, send your um, your name, your phone number, so forth. But so anyway, after, you know, talking to a few of the people, a few of them weren't positive, you know, like, well, I think so, you know, and this really had to be people who definitely were going to come because, you know, if somebody's given up a ticket, then, you know, you want to make sure they're there. But anyway, um, we had a great response. We wish we could give everybody a ticket. Uh, unfortunately, we can't. So the first winner is Bearberry Star of uh, Mississippi, and the second winner was Leonard Phillips <clears throat> of Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, so we gave away two? Well, one one we gave away and one Cobra gave away. So one's from us and the other one's from Cobra. And uh, Okay, so uh, two winners. Just a little, little, little cheering and celebration there. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and I, I have to play with my toys sometimes. I know you do. I know you do. And um, I, they've already responded on Facebook, and they seem really happy, and they're looking forward to the event. And um, anyway, the, the next thing I wanted to announce, a part of the Truck Driver Social Media event, was the uh, winner of the Making a Difference Award, who is Carrie Fisher, Carrie Fisher, of the Missing Truck Driver Alert Network. Um, on Facebook and missingtruckdriver.com. Uh, she she did win the award this year. It's being sponsored by Go Truck Stop, uh, who is uh, going to be awarding $500 to Kari and also to all four uh, uh, runners up. It's gonna who are Kyla Lieberg, Desiree Wood, Kathy Cass, and Sandy Long. They're also going to be getting a one hundred dollar uh gift certificate from gotruckstop.com. So you guys might wanna be, if you're listening, uh looking at that uh website and figuring out, you know, how you're gonna spend that one hundred dollar gift certificate. Uh a little bit more about the Making a Difference Award. Uh last year Hope Rivenberg was the winner. And in uh, in her late husband's honor, Jason Rivenberg, it's now called the Jason Rivenberg Making a Difference Award. It just so happens uh, Hope is going to be attending again this year. She obviously was there last year, and uh, she'll be passing the torch on to uh, to Kari Fisher. And they usually do something on October 28th in New York. Uh, for that's Jason Rivenberg's birthday, and she usually likes to keep a remembrance for his birthday. Uh, so what we're going to be doing on the 28th, which is that Sunday of the convention, uh, we will be having a cake uh, in remembrance, and also as part of the celebration for all the hard work that uh, Hope Rivenberg has uh, has done towards Jason's Law in the transportation bill. So uh, we can we can share his memory on his birthday that day, and uh, also honor 
uh, hope for all her hard work. One thing I want to say uh, missing truck on the missing truck driver alert, uh, Jonda Williams is the uh, widow of the deceased driver whom this uh, group and website was all started from. She is uh, wanting very, very much to attend this uh, convention. Um, we've spoken to her. She called in on the show last week. Uh, we've needed donations. Uh, she's not financially, you know, able to, because that's quite a chunk of money just all of a sudden to come up with your airfare, cab fare, uh, your hotel room and everything. So we've set up a little donation. Um, and let's see, Go Truck Stop last year, uh, last week donated 100 and now we're asking everybody um, to donate $1. That's all, $1 to help with this. There also was an uh, anonymous person who donated the airline ticket. So really we don't need that much more if everybody can just uh, go to the Miss Tr- Missing Truck Driver Network on Facebook. Uh, Kari's uh, PayPal address is there, and we're just asking everyone to donate $1. And as soon as you know we get the, the amounts that she's figured, uh, we'll stop it. So um, hopefully, hopefully that will help. Uh, with John to coming, and I feel very, very confident that um, people will come through with that and and donate the dollar. Uh, talking a little bit about the convention, everybody knows it's October 27th and 28th at Harris in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, you definitely do not want to miss this event. This is uniting, informing, uh, gathering, networking. It's it's like no other event. Uh, it's it's not a truck show. It's nothing like that. This is truly a uniting and information uh, day. There's all kinds of other things going on. Uh, prizes galore from Cobra and Go Tr- Go Truck Stop, and uh, also the Pride in Your Ride, uh, which is a, a contest for your truck, not a truck show contest. Just have it all cleaned. It's almost like the cleanest and best kept truck. And KC Trucker is going to be. Um, giving the trophies for that and plus there's big awards for that also uh, as far as uh, gifts first place is a Cobra 8000 GPS Uh, second place is a Cobra 6000 and that's a 5 inch the first place was a 7 inch and third place is a CB radio with Bluetooth so again more prizes um, lots of raffle prizes for the drivers the topics and speakers, what an awesome lineup we have. Uh, we have Paul Taylor of Trucking Employment Law. Richard Wilson's going to have regulations, CDL training, the truck driver shortage. Elaine Papp of the FMCSA for health issues and regulations. Kyla Lieberg uh, on truckers against trafficking and social media. Rick Ash on truck driver health. Chris Voss social media strategies. Uh, Chris is number 18 in Forbes magazine. So if you're wanting to learn about strategies and social media, how to get your voice heard, how to monetize, how to do whatever you want to do on social media, this is the event you want to go to. Our MC again is Toby Bogard, our career counselor for all you guys out there, um, either looking for jobs, new CDL graduates, veteran drivers, whoever you are. Uh, James McCormick is going to be there. Again, Hope Rivenberg, Kari Fisher, 
I mean, what a, what a lineup we have. Um, you go to truckingsocialmedia.com and just register for the event. Uh, there's a hotel for a discount under the little drop-down menu. Just go to truckingsocialmedia.com, click on the 2012 convention, and uh, get your tickets um, because we're, the cutoff is, is really coming up pretty soon. We've already extended it to September 15th or until we're full, so uh, just go ahead, go on over there. Um, okay. I do want to just uh, thank all our sponsors, uh, Pilot J and Navistar and Hajian and Tripsheet, Lone Mountain, Cobra, Zada, AirDoc, uh, Transport Watch, Oida, Trucker to Trucker, Idle Air, Truck Driver Money Saving Tips, Real Women in Trucking, KC Trucker, Allen and Airs Productions, Trans Products and Services, A Trucker's Wife, that's Kathy Cass, Go Truck Stop, Trucker Lawyers, Blingmaster, and Max Therapy. And I want to give a special thank you um, to Kathy Cass. She's making all the centerpieces for the event this year, and we really do appreciate um, all that, Kathy. So everybody come. Uh, oh, and uh, the 26th is the Friday night welcome reception. Uh, more food, hors d'oeuvres, and, uh, I mean, it's just going to be a great event over at the Voodoo Lounge at Harris. So even if you're signed up for the 27th and 28th for the actual convention, you want to make sure you show up the night before at 7.30 for the welcome reception. Uh, a lot of networking going on for that also. So once again, www.truckingsocialmedia.com. Get registered. Get your ticket. We want to meet you. And what a gala event this is going to be, Alan. Oh, I know, and it's coming up fast, so all right. Sounds good. Really appreciate it. Thanks to all our special guests. Uh, and go over to, to uh, OverdriveOnline.com and check out Todd Dill's uh, just great information over there. And uh, you'll find his Channel 19 blog and his entire series on this Trucker's Top Challenges survey. Really great reading. So uh, that will do it for this broadcast. Thanks for tuning in. And be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites. And be sure to follow the show so you'll be uh, notified of our upcoming ones. And Don and I would enjoy meeting you. So if you haven't signed up for the uh, Truck Driver Convention, we hope you do so, truckingsocialmedia.com. And have a great evening, everyone. Uh, don't know if I got all the callers in, but our lines were completely full tonight. So thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. This song's for everybody, but specifically our first-time guest, Tom Blake. He'll appreciate this one from the On the Road CD by fellow trucker Tony Justice, tonyjusticemusic.com. Here it is, Peterbilt 379. So until next time, on behalf of Donna Smith and for Truth About Trucking Live, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, everybody, and thanks for listening. <laughs> Books, I got a record to keep. I got a one on my dash, one on the seat. I got the chrome polished up and she's a looking girl. I'm on a cat burn underneath the hood. I've been at home too long, it's starting to show. When I get that itch, Lord, I'm ready to roll. When you see me come and get out of my way, I got a hot load of praise. I'm gonna make my destination come around and shine. And my suit up, signed up, get you.
Get you there, my son of Peter Bill. 